Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Postcards from a Dying World. I am coming close to my 100th episode, but uh, as time would have it, uh, uh, just after recording our last Star Wars panel, um, it may be back-to-back Star Wars because Andor finished in time. Um, I do have a David Gerald interview coming out, who uh, is one of Issa's favorite favorite writers um and uh i i just haven't gotten around to to cutting that up and getting it ready but um that's coming soon um before i get into introducing everybody um if you want our star wars story and everything i would go back to our previous star wars episode i believe that's episode 96 of this podcast and i do want to promote one thing um that this episode will be coming out on the release day of the novel I co-wrote, Nightmare City, with Anthony Trevino. So that's for sale now on Amazon, and I got to uh, promote it right now. The The way I pitched this book to Anthony was that I wanted to write The Wire if Philip K. Dick and Clive Barker were on the writing staff. Um, it's the way I suggested the start of this so it's a um sci-fi horror hybrid um about systematic racism um in america but with a little bit of cli-fi and cyberpunk involved so uh we're really proud of it so nightmare city is out there on amazon right now um attached to my name and i'll put a link in the show notes so um and then next uh, summer, I have a book out uh, called uh, The Last Night to Kill Nazis. But if you can't wait for Nazi killing, I've got a systematic racism horror novel <laughs> uh, for you. All right. So my panel today are the same guests that I had on the last Star Wars episode. But um, since people might be coming here just for Andor content, um, let's make sure to tell everybody who you are and what you do. Uh, starting with Ryan J. Downey. Tell the folks who you are and what you do. Is it fair uh, to call us your Jedi Council at this point? Uh, yes, I haven't made you guys masters yet, but you are on the council. How can, how can Andor, we be on the council? Andor doesn't, Andor doesn't need a Jedi Council. There's no Jedi. There's a Kyber crystal in Andor. <laughs> uh, there may be a Jedi in the show. Oh. We're just not yeah, I don't like. I don't it. like that theory. We'll get into it. Right, uh, we'll get into yeah, my name is Ryan J. Downey. I'm a uh, fellow Hoosier alongside Count Agronoff. Uh, friends for many years. Um, a writer, journalist, um, person of interest. Once upon a time, uh, yeah, one of my oldest friends to have been on the podcast. So, yes, yeah, possibly your oldest friend to have been on the podcast. That's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get Big John on, but for no reason, wow. like just to have him be yeah. hilarious and be him. Just if you um, ever do a Celtic Frost episode. We, yeah, that would be one we could do. Uh, Isa, tell the folks who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Isa, and I used to think I was a Star Wars fan until I met these guys, and then I realized that I'm just some guy who's seen Star Wars a bunch of times, which is completely <laughs> different, apparently. But uh, I, I uh, you know, I enjoy talking about it. It's still a lot of fun, and I'm especially excited to talk about Android. That's 
Awesome. Dawood, tell them who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Dawood. I, uh, I administer a, a Jedi Sufism uh, Instagram page, and I read a lot of Star Wars books. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, that is the Jedi Council for today. Um, yeah, we're Isa's definitely not a master yet. <laughs> not yet. Or I have transcended your whole system. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You are not one with a, a gray Jedi. Yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You have but, white lightsabers. Uh, <laughs> so here's the thing: we're gonna we're just gonna focus on Andor today, and we're gonna give first our overall thoughts on Andor, and then we're gonna get into like the three episode arcs, and then we'll start talking about theories and our feelings on it. And get into greater depth but um and i will tell you there are a lot of podcasts and commentary out there i spent um, a good portion of last night listening to those um and uh including two interviews with tony gilroy which are really funny because there's a lot of contradictory attitudes about what tony gilroy was up to and what he was really thinking and i think there's some really interesting stuff about his involvement um in a show that he said was going to have no easter eggs and then has like hundreds of easter eggs in it. <laughs> anyways but i think are a lot of them he doesn't even know about right because a lot of them came down in production design and so on and so forth uh but uh i also just listened to an interview with him this morning where he kind of gave away some clues into some things that are going on with season two which they're making right now and he said uh, which I thought was interesting that uh, jumping out of the plane the second time is sometimes scarier. And he seemed to be uh, more intimidated by doing season two, which I thought was interesting. But um, I'll go last as far as my general thoughts, but let's start with uh, Bernard Downey, um, giving your general thoughts on uh, Andor season one. Yeah. And I wanted to give just as a note of uh to give us just a tiny bit of structure as we get started for folks listening who, uh, you know, may not be as waist deep in all this stuff. Tony Gilroy, who you just mentioned, uh, being the showrunner, uh, directed several episodes, wrote several episodes. Um, his background is super interesting. Um, it is. Well, his dad, Frank D. Gilroy, is a was a playwright, screenwriter, film producer, director. He won a Tony Award. He won a Pulitzer Prize. And then, of course, Tony Gilroy himself, uh, he wrote a movie called The Devil's Advocate, which I really like, with Keanu Reeves and Charlize Theron and Al Pacino. Uh, he wrote uh, Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum, and um, uh, Born Devil's Legacy. Devil's Advocate he is actually... where he started monologuing <laughs> a lot. You know? Ah, yeah. that's a, that's a very smart thing to, uh, to point out. That's a great observation. Yeah, yeah and then... Um, one of those Bourne movies he actually co-wrote with his brother, John Gilroy, who is also a screenwriter um, and director. Uh, he's, and I'm uh, sorry, uh, Tony Gilroy. Damn. John Gilroy is the brother who's an editor, who's been an editor on a bunch of the Gilroy stuff, as well as like uh, Happy, or Billy Madison and uh, Michael Clayton, a <laughs> bun bunch of movies. But, um, but yeah, his twin brother, it, it's, it's really confusing because... <laughs> So John Gilroy and Dan Gilroy are twins. And then Tony Gilroy is like the, the showrunner guy. But one of the twin brothers, um, which is why it's very easy to get them confused, Dan Gilroy, 
uh, wrote about half of the episodes on this. He also was one of the many writers who did a pass on the uh, aborted Superman Lives movie. He's in the Superman Lives documentary. Um, and he wrote the amazing, wrote and directed the amazing film Nightcrawler. Yes, the uh, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Yeah, he was a writer. Director. Super underrated movie. Great. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of talent even just in that family. And the last uh, important thing to note here is that, you know, Solo is more sort of uh, well-known or famously regarded as a movie where the original uh, writing, directing duo were fired during the production and replaced. And uh, a lot of Star Wars fans, of course, also know that episode nine, the writer-director there was, you know, cast aside early in pre-production and replaced. What a lot of folks don't necessarily know is that Rogue One, uh, while it's, you know, credited to uh gareth edwards the you know director of the raid and you know amazing director himself it was really apparently tony gilroy who co-wrote the screenplay uh who really kind of saved that movie in the edit as they say um and directed i guess a lot of reshoots and um was a big part of of rogue one as we know it and i think well, you know well gareth uh, edwards made godzilla and he didn't make the raid i, I think no. he made you made uh, Gareth, huh? Yeah, yeah. You're thinking of Gareth Evans. Gareth um, Evans, right? Edwards, didn't he do Monsters? He did Monsters, which is a great, underrated, yeah. like low budget monster movie, like um, or lower budget. Um, Edit and, out uh, by Gareth Edwards, Gareth Evans. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, but the point being more, if we get about, a Star Wars movie directed by him, I would be way down. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. and and I highly recommend, by the way, Gangs of London. <laughs> Just the TV show that I he's love now Gangs in second London. series. Great. So good. And that's that's the other Gareth. That's Gareth Evans. Gangs of London, great Cole Meany for you, Deep Space Nine nerds out there. Oh yeah. yeah. First season. Yeah. yeah. Uh first episode. Yeah, he's great in a small role in that. Um yeah, but, yeah, no, so, but anyway, so yeah, important to note that he he's he not only was uh, one of the two writers credited with Rogue One, but uncredited with um really kind of being i guess a second director you could say um he did you know, all the reshoots yeah yeah they man they managed to i guess i guess pr wise maybe because the movie was just so much better and was better received than solo or certainly episode nine there's less made about the fact that it really was totally changed and fixed midway through but uh but anyway yeah so going into andor i mean it's really the Disney plus star Wars series that arrived with the least fanfare. Um, I found that a lot of casual star Wars fans who I know didn't even realize that it was happening at all. And maybe it's uh, the low expectations, the lack of pressure, you know, for whatever reason it, uh, it seems like it's the best received, certainly from a critical perspective, people are really, really loving the show. I'm one of them. Uh, it was a great character from Rogue One who I think deserved the prequel treatment. So they've really anchored it around someone cool. And, you know, for in Dawood, you'll know more about this because you know more about the um, extended canon than the rest of us. But this is really, for a long time, people were saying Rogue One was going to be this big experiment because it would be Star Wars without Jedi and without Sith and Star Wars without a lightsaber. 
and then they chickened out at some point late in the process and we're like actually let's have let's have darth vader be jason Voorhees at the end of the movie and get out his lightsaber well, and, and kill and a bunch the, of rebels the, the donnie yen cheat as well like yeah, yeah donnie cool. and that was a pretty big cheat which uh was sort of because he's not he's not really a force user and he doesn't have a lightsaber he's not well, a jedi he's totally a force user yeah he's he, totally a force user yeah he would have been a jedi i don't think he's using the force Oh come on! Uh, I mean, they actually say in the lore that he wouldn't be able to be a Jedi. Like I'm, I'm whatever sure he's, he's doing, he's one with the Force and something. The Force. My my, inter- my interpretation <laughs> was that he was he was using the Force as much as as any of us could use chi. No, no. There's a time yeah. when he shoots like down a, a tie character. fighter and it cr- and times it perfectly so it crashes into like a gun that's shooting at the at the rebels. Like yeah, but it's not. But you would see that in a kung fu movie. Yeah. Okay. I, I I'm, mean, not gonna, anyway, I'm not going to belabor in that. In terms now. of like yeah. flashy fighting. Well, well, uh, well I, th- I, I think we can all agree, though, that the, 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 my point being that there's been a lot of talk about having Star Wars someday that doesn't have lightsabers. And Rogue One was going to be that, and then it wasn't. I, I feel like right. the test was more no Skywalkers and no no original characters. That that seemed like a bigger part of the test than. than well, the, well <laughs> this, show, this show has managed. <laughs> Which to they didn't really accomplish. An entire season without, at the end. without Jedi's, without Skywalkers, without Sith, without lightsabers, and that in and of itself is impressive. You know, people call it like adult Star Wars, grown up Star Wars, because it's. I mean, it's, Andor it's, is straight up not Star Wars. I will, I will give my hot take when it's my turn. But there was, there were, it could have. That's my my hot take. It's not Star Wars. Oh, I'll just <clears throat> let's have that debate later in the show. Yeah, it's it's very it's very smart sort of political drama. There's a lot of character study. Uh, it has one of my favorite sort of tropes of spy series and things like that, or, or, and just storytelling in general, where you have uh, all of these seemingly disconnected storylines that start to line up as the season goes on, and then all these characters connect, and then they end up in the same place uh, in, in the season finale. Uh, that was really great, and there was a lot of really great standalone episodes, uh, which is hard to pull off with this uh, in the age of streaming with serialized storytelling, where it seems like, in my opinion, Kenobi being a great recent example, that was a show that uh, in some ways tried to do too much in too short of a time period, and the show really takes its time and has a lot of breathing room. I think they were really smart in dropping several episodes at once because it really kind of takes a minute to get going before you're really hooked uh but yeah it's um it's brave for a star wars show it's it's uh arguably there's not much fan service although there are certainly uh, easter eggs in the production design and um and there are some wacky fan theories out there but you know all of us having lived through the time of all the Snoke theories and all the Ray theories and all of that. I feel like it's way, 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 way less, you know, definitely learn their lesson. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So that's nice. Um, But yeah, general overview is I really, really love the show. Really enjoyed it. Um, Issa. So you're saying it's not Star Wars. I I loved it. Let's just start, you know, I don't want to bore you all just say the same thing. Wow. Andrew was really good. Like taken as given, it was great. Um, the reason I say it's not Star Wars, and it, it, it is more as a science fiction purist, this story could have been told about any franchise, essentially. Like, you could imagine, uh, you know, Foundation. Like, the, instead of Corsicant, this could have t- taken place on Trantor. You know, like, it would have been the exact same story. You wouldn't have to really change anything. 
um, you know, you wouldn't have the Death Star at the end. Oh, that's a deep cut nerdy reference. But go ahead. <laughs> well, oh, wow. or, but you could also have done this. Uh, you could have done this in the Star Trek universe. You could have done it in any science fiction universe. It's just um, some sort of empire and rebellion. Like it, it is. Had... Is that a bad thing though? Because I feel like no, that's... no, no. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's the promise definitely... of Star Wars on TV, right? It's now we can set all kinds. Yeah, of I, I thought of... it was interesting. I personally like so. One of the most entertaining parts about uh, Rogue One was the Donnie Yen character um, and just having that like extra flourish of, of you know, force battles, fighting kind of stuff. And I felt that was missing from Andor that like if I had to, if I had to nitpick and find something that I wished there was more of is some of that kind of fighting and less of like, I just punched a stormtrooper in the face and somehow that knocked him out, even though he's wearing a helmet, you know, which is always like the funniest thing. There's already uh, YouTube videos about how you can't head, you can head, but someone in a helmet and knock them out. There's literally <laughs> videos people have made. There was definitely a scene where someone like, you know, left crossed or right crossed a, a stormtrooper yeah. in the helmet and, you know, somehow didn't bring their hand. But, you know, um, regardless, it, I mean, <laughs> so... <laughs> That was my my one take and and just I really I did really enjoy it, but I felt like it was sort of uh oh my other my other hot take was that I hate that Star Wars can't do anything in order. Just make a freaking plan and release the episodes or movies in, and shows in order, you know, like why didn't they release this before Rogue One? How good would Rogue One be if this had actually come out before it and they kind of like matched Rogue One up to it a little more? Like just make a freaking plan. You you've got billions and billions of dollars. But they make didn't know. They didn't. They didn't know that they were going to connect with that. People were going to connect with this character, and they didn't I know. That... I, I understand. It's like you know. It's like a you know generational thing at this point telling Star Wars stories. But it's like, like how good would it be if we got Andor, and then we got Andor season two, and then we got Rogue One? Well, like, one of my favorite things that they did to kind of course correct or retcon, like the fact that they didn't plan this is that um there there was some like reference guide to rogue one where it mentioned what andor's home planet was and then they changed it for the they obviously changed the backstory for the show but there's a scene where his mother says i always told people he was from this particular planet oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was the planet in the in the reference guide and like things like that that they corrected one thing that should be noted is that they made a pilot without gilroy they filmed oh, it i didn't know that yes yes it's somewhere out there on some hard drive somewhere they filmed an entire pilot for an andor series with another plan and then they showed it to like kathleen kathleen kennedy showed it to tony gilroy and he just said Basically, the reason why he wanted to make the show is because he just started like telling her, well, I would do this. I would do that. Like, no, 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 you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. And then, you know, I mean, they filmed the whole thing with Diego Luna and the whole the whole pilot and they scrapped it because they liked this plan better and they had the ability to get Tony Gilroy. And I think it was a funny and a very uh, expensive gamble. But what I think Kathleen Kennedy was doing was saying like, we're going to do this without you. So like, this is what we're going to get. So if you don't come in and do this, we're, we're going this way. And it's a character that he grew to like, you know, so he wanted to have his hands on it. 
And he said basically that after watching that other pilot, he just couldn't stop thinking about like how he would do it differently, which is a very writer thing to do. So it is interesting to know that they that somewhere out there there's a whole nother Andor pilot. Yeah, I didn't know that. I I knew that with Kenobi there was there were scripts for all the episodes that were jettisoned and that they started from scratch. Yeah. On that, yeah. but yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know there was. No, a, they filmed a, it. They filmed them. it because D- Diego Luna has talked about like how he's talked about like filming the other one and how like he's much happier with what they did this time. Yeah. So like. And he's contrasted that. So, so two people have talked about it. Tony Gilroy mentioned it because a lot of times they would just wouldn't mention it. You know, I mean, yeah. there's lots of famous stories like this. Joe Hill's um, uh, Lock and I Key. I mean, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> you know, completely different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lock and Key, for example, has had had two pilots before the net the Hulu series that eventually came out, um, and never got released. And you know, so this happens, but. Dawood, what was your uh, overall take on on Andor? Uh, I was initially a little lukewarm on the show, just and then not anything to do with the show at all, really, but um, more to do with some people's responses to it by saying, this is Star Wars not being Star Wars. Uh, I don't really like that whole vibe. Uh, and I did feel like it was moving a little slow. And for me, like since I have kids that watch with me, they're like getting disinterested. And I'm a little like, oh, I don't know, like, Star Wars not being able to really appeal to kids feels a little off to me. Uh, But that said, everything comes together really nicely as the arcs close. And everything is so well done. It's just a really well done show, really well written. All the actors are on point. Uh, I really like seeing more Mon Mothma. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and, you know, kind of in response to that idea that it's not Star Wars, it feels to me like some of the old, older Star Wars Legends novels that um, did go away from the Skywalkers. Uh, there's a whole series of, of X-Wing novels um, that are similar in tone sometimes and you know, focus on characters that are not, at least initially, Jedi. Well, <laughs> and a, I was going to say... There's a guy that doesn't know he's a Jedi in there. <laughs> but, I was gonna- I was going to say, those of us who read the Legends and were real serious about the Legends novels and the old Legends canon, that's the, we're way over that. You know, yeah. like, we, we've we've gotten into the universe without Skywalkers, and yeah, and I, I the Rogue Squadron books were a great example. Um, another one, you know, one of my favorite series of Star Wars novels is the Coruscant Knight novels. I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote those. Um, uh, it's uh, Michael Reeves. Yeah, Michael Reeves. I think, yeah. And maybe he did one with Steve Perry. Yeah, well, it's funny because he did a... Dark they shared novel. writing a lot. Yeah, Steve Perry from a, Journey? No. Uh, it was a really was good a, book. It was about a SD, small and That's why that guy goes by <laughs> S.D. Perry for most of his books because he doesn't want to be confused with the Aerosmith guy. But um, yeah, Michael Reeves. And it's funny because he wrote like one called um, Darth Maul Shadowhunter, which is basically... Yeah one of the Coruscant Knight books, but just has Darth Maul in it. And it's right. actually really, really good because it, it Dar- Darth Maul's in it, but it focuses on the Coruscant Knight characters. And there's like, um, there's a guy who's like, um, who left the Jedi Order is kind of a fallen Jedi, who's one of the main characters of those books. And those books are like noir books that are set on Coruscant. And um, they're very, very, very good. 
and yeah you know so that's an example of like actually it was the the fourth in that series uh was called the last jedi <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, th yeah, that he had a like a pocket universe of that, like sort of within Le Star Wars Legends, right? Like because he did a couple of Clone Wars books with yeah, some of I those same characters. Yeah, I read all those in the uh, the year that we will talk about later, uh, <laughs> in 2012. So, um... yeah, from Andor gave me that kind of vibe of like, all right, we're moving a little away from the whole Jedi Sith thing. Uh, let's focus on this is more regular folks, working class folks in the midst of this oppressive system. Um, but also people who are directly affected by all the Jedi Sith stuff we already know, right? Yeah, that, exactly. We're seeing the fallout of yeah. the drama between the Jedi and the Sith that we don't often see in Star Wars. I mean, we get the, you know, you get the like Death Star big boom stuff, but you don't get as much like, what is that on the ground for the Sith to rule? Um, and I, I like that we see this. It's not... It's interesting because you see that like the oppression doesn't really, it's not as overt until things start to escalate. I mean, like life, life on Ferrix, it's just grinding work, right? Like and they may have been like that during the Republic. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. We don't, and things I mean, don't, I don't escalate. How far, how far out on the rim or whatever yeah. Ferrix is, but. I haven't looked at the map to see when it updated maps to see where it is physically. But Maybe it was a Confederacy world, right? Confederate, yeah. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, to see that that lens of, you know, like with Star Wars, people are always like, "Oh, it showed what like how life could be so similar to how it is for us," right? Like when you go to Tatooine initially in the first movie, like, oh, it's like it's like a farmer's life. This is like this is what it's like to work in a factory. We don't know what the factory is doing, but I like that picture, and I like how we see the the seeds of rebellion growing and growing. And to me, it is Star Wars, but it's just a different kind of Star Wars than most people are used to. So the, well, the, one of the Star Wars things that I just have trouble with and never understand is how many people can use the Force, and like why do like in the original movies, it was like, I, I feel like we talked about this a little last time, but I, you know, I'll never, now I have more to talk about with it with Andrew. But in the original movies, it's like, oh, no one believes in that Jedi stuff. That was so long ago. Um, and then later it was like, okay, now everyone uses the force and, uh, you know, whatever. And now it's, and, but somehow all these people in uh, whatever, in the new starting of the rebellion aren't force users. Like, what's the deal? like like how many people are supposed to be able to use the force well i think at this point it was it was a very small monastic order of people that were still using it and then through the machinations of palpatine he's now stamped all of that out to yeah. where by the time we get to this period in the timeline I, I think if anyone who's still any kind of a forced user is like in hiding um you know and doesn't want to openly uh be supportive of it let alone using it but like how does it become like a myth that some people don't even believe in you know like that's uh that's i feel like the only uh, way to sort my head canon for this and dude might have a, the, a, a real answer for it my head canon is that it was it was already in that like pretty much mythical status by the era of the prequels because that the jedi order is so small at that point and most people are disconnected from it right if you 
live on Coruscant, you see the temple maybe, but I, I think most people in the galaxy aren't in at that in the prequel era weren't encountering Jedi's on a regular. Well, basis. how many people in Kansas know what senators do in DC, right? Like, you yeah, know. but how many of them know who Kim Kardashian is? You know, like I feel like. <laughs> you just it would be like okay this person can actually do magic we're not going to forget about that you know like that's always weird to me out well i i'm part of it is that like there's so few people who are force sensitive specifically like it's like people believe in the force there were force religions but not everybody that was adherence to a force religion was necessarily like able to touch the force sense the force and use it um and in the high republic right now they actually have uh, an entire force cult that is not force users and they believe that anybody who uses the force is throwing it out of balance so there's that like there's a lot of different things in play in that in that universe right so and then at this point in the in the imperial era the empire has just specifically been crushing anything to do with the force um so like the only surviving real thing with with force cults and it would be jetta before they nuke it <laughs> right and, now, I, and, I'm, and i'm pretty convinced those are just monks who are really into the force like any yeah i don't the, i don't think they're force users. i think they're more analogous to like you know monastic orders in real life who aren't yeah. overtly yeah. doing magic they're they're like priests not prophets you know what i mean <laughs> yeah and i just they're not really miracle quickly. workers um, my overall thoughts on, on Andor, and then we'll get into deeper discussion. Um, I obviously am pro Andor. I liked it. Um, it's interesting that people would, you know, that would, you mentioned watching it with your kids and, and, uh, I have a student who's, uh, a, a, you know, 14 years old, who's obsessed with all things Clone Wars and the, and, you know, within the same conversation that I'll have where he'll say, I had a, whole situation with my student where he was like books suck i hate books and i started reading <laughs> brotherhood to him the obi-wan anakin thing now he won't let me stop reading it <laughs> right, to him and it's funny because i talked to him about andor i was like are you watching andor just because i was curious he was like dude it's boring and you know what <laughs> i'm okay with that i think right. there should be star wars there's star wars that's you know like the first season of rebels is a little hard for me to watch and rebels got better but I mm -hmm. like I thought it was a little kiddie-ish at first. And then there's like resistance, which I thought was way too kiddy for me. And that's fine. And then, you know, it doesn't all have to appeal to me. Just like the whole thing with like, I don't really like lower decks, but I'm super stoked for people who do like it. And that's okay. I don't have to like everything. Star there's people Trek. that don't like She-Hulk, and I understand why. I thought it was fun, but I that is too. That's what like that again, that's what these streaming shows sort of allow is like, okay, now you know, you can you can do spy thriller, you can do war stories, you can do romantic comedies, like you know, and Marvel's really exploring that. And I think Andor is a is a great example of like Right. I don't have to like Book of Boba show. Fett. I just don't have to, but yeah. I can still be stoked that they're making stuff and that they're trying and they're taking shots. And I thought Andor was a bold, bold, bold shot. That was mostly because, and look, they made the show they pitched because when they first announced that they were doing, look, one of my favorite moments in the entire Star Wars canon on film, and there was a moment for me in Rogue One 
that I thought was the fuck yeah moment. Here we go. And that's the moment where Cassian shoots his informant. Yes. And when he shot his informant for Star Wars, huge. That was because that's a moment where I was like, oh, fuck yeah, this is a Star War. This is a real war. Yes. (laughs) And, And if Lucas thought Han shooting first was unheroic so much that he had to retcon it, I mean, this was, this is like 10 times worse. You know, this is like, cold-blooded murder for like political strategic and an, and an ally tells him us, it's right? gonna be all right yeah. and then shoots him i mean it's yeah. like there's a lot of things and cassian immediately became one of my favorite characters because i was like it reminded me of that of the crawl that you were talking about last time ryan where he said there's heroes and villains on each side and my immediate thought when he shot him because this is a brand new character his first scene i said who the fuck is this guy? And he is not fucking around. He is not fucking around. And- well, but it also, in the story, it works so well because then it sets up him not shooting. Exactly. Um, he really, you know, things like character and arcs, you know? Yeah, exactly. Growth. Right, right. And, he, and by the way, I would argue that his character also has a lot of Solo-esque swagger, but from a much darker place because he's not wisecracking. He's not trying to charm Jyn or so. But he's kind of he's dressed kind of soloette. He's very Empire solo in some of the scenes in Rogue One. And uh yeah, I thought you're right. He was a great not all those characters were great, honestly. It was a great ensemble of and under undervalued in his role in Rogue One. Uh Gary Witta, the the first screenwriter, uh, I think was the one who originally wrote that scene. And um, by the way, Gary Witta, underrated Book of Eli. I, I love that movie. And Gary Whitta was trying to remake Last Starfighter. Whoever has the money and the rights, give him the money. Let Gary Whitta remake Last mm. Starfighter. I want to see it. Anyways, um, or uh, uh, reboot, uh, re- whatever they call it, the reboot sequel. Um, Gary Whitta, do Last Starfighter. I want to see it. Anyways, um, his role is undervalued as a writer in this project too. And he's, by the way, said, and this is a great minds think alike because I know I posted this idea um, like a year ago on Facebook was that there needs to be a, a Star Wars meets Munich style show with um, post Return of the Jedi where they're hunting down Empire war criminals. Like that would be the next obvious step for an Andor like vibed show. And so give Gary Witt of the money and let him do that. And by the oh, way, there's definitely elements of that in Aftermath, I think. And only because yes. you, we were giving a shout out to Gary Witt, we got to give a shout out to John Knoll from IOM because he was the guy. It was his idea, yeah. It was all his idea because he was the guy, speaking of opening crawls, that was like the original opening crawl from the 77 Star Wars, right? Where it talks about, um, you know, the spies or whatever that died to get these Death Star plans. Um, yeah, he was the like, guy who was like, that's a movie. And also, <laughs> um, John Knoll, along with his brother Thomas Knoll, another brotherly duo, um, they created Photoshop. <laughs> so, like, what a, <laughs> I mean, not, not only is, is Photoshop obviously so widely in use, but it's like, it's like a cultural language now, right? I mean, he's like, yeah. oh, Photoshop's, it's like a verb, a noun. Um, student like point. invented Photoshop, which is crazy. Well, anyways, what I wanted to say is that when they originally, you know, suggested the idea that they were going to do a Cassian show, my immediate thought was the scene where he shot the dude. And I'm like, I want to know how that guy happened. 
Yeah. How that guy had a prequel series all about that guy that got shot in Rogue One someday. <laughs> well, not the guy that got shot, the guy that shot him, but I, I, I thought that that was a, a terrific idea for a show. And I, but I almost didn't think that Star Wars would be bold enough to do it. And then they did. They did. They don't, they told the nasty, grimy story of the, the guy who just wants to get paid and then becomes the guy who I'm going to murder my informant so I can get out of here and I'm going to tell Think him. of the rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. And lead the rebellion. He's, he's going to slow us down. He's going to get caught. He's going to give away secrets. Yeah. It's better. And, and it's a very Saw Guerrero type move. We see Saw Guerrero. Um, as he's increasingly radicalized right right and so like for me Andor was chef's kiss on that uh there are some things i would do differently like if i was making it and it's probably a good thing i'm not i uh i probably would have had just a little hint of the world that we've seen like with force users and all that a little bit more of it because I think Tony Gilroy, the one thing that I, my one complaint of it is that on one hand, I like that Tony Gilroy was like, I'm not doing all that stuff. I'm not doing fan service. Like just enough to anchor us in the world a little bit more. I could have lived with, but I'm fine with it the way, the way that it is. I'm not complaining. Like, I think there's no right way to, to do it. You know, like you're either, you know, I'm fine with it the way it is, is what I'm saying. But I probably would have done, I probably would have had a, a little bit to anchor us into I, that. I would have been really subtle with it if I was doing it. Like, yes, like, yes, like, exactly. Why, why wouldn't a character like Mon Mothma say something like, you know, we've got to do this ourselves. It's not like a Jedi is going to come in and save us or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like that would be, you know, like you'd think people who were around would have, would say more stuff like that. Like it well, would be- even a line where Mon Mothma could could blame the Jedi, you know, Jedi arrogance that got us into this mess or whatever. Just, mm-hmm. you know, just mentioning that this whole cult of knights were out there, yeah, they were supposed to protect us. Would 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 have been an okay thing, and it wouldn't have taken us out of the vibe. That, that it just, it's just weird, up. like when you think about how in the real world, how much people talk about religion. You know, like, like, especially in like, um, you know, in America, <laughs> like, I'm, I, I want to draw the direct comparison between the uh, empire and America, but, you know, people talk about religion constantly. And, you know, like, you know, best case scenario, you're talking about magic that worked 2000 years ago, but hasn't worked since, right? <laughs> like best case scenario for the religion. I think the in-universe reason is that the empire is creating a situation where you don't really want to be seen talking about it. You sure, know. But, but think about like how you know what was China or the Soviet Union, <laughs> countries that have tried to stamp out religion. Um, you know, it hasn't worked. You know, and so that's well, it's worked. It, it worked for a long time in Iran before it you know got to the point where we're at now. I don't know. If that's a good example for your side. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, I would I would say it's working in China. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, it has worked they, in China for a long time. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think Tibetan monks would say that, it, that, that China's the empire. They've either suppressed it or co-opted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, but it's not like people don't remember that that uh, monks or Falun Gong or whatever exists. You know what I mean? Like. Right. But you're not. But you're also not going to be, uh, you know, 
walking around openly celebrating or even talking about having any leanings toward any of that stuff. I would say, especially during the cultural revolution, which is probably more analogous to this time period in Star Wars. Yeah. Well, and I will say that podcasts can now not be aired in China. Well, I do know that Tony Gilroy resists like talking about real world examples because he says that that throughout history you could sure. make all kinds of examples, not just anyone, you know. But it works it's really just, there's, well. There's, there's nothing funny. of the of the uh, Force Awakens poster having to remove John Boyega to be used in China. <laughs> Right. Or the Black Panther poster where it's got to be Chadwick Boseman in the mask. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I, I personally feel that the Empire was just very ripped from the pages of America. I mean, that that definitely, I don't think you need to go outside of the American borders to get uh, modern well, there is there is a hilarious interview that Tony Gilroy did like the day before the election. It's uh, the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith, which is a, and, and it was like, he was doing episodes he did all the episodes like in the arcs with Tony Gilroy. So it was whichever one came out right before the election, but it was funny because Jeff Goldsmith kept trying to bring up the election and Tony Gilroy was just not having it. He was I think that's like, good though. Cause I think it makes yeah. it a little more evergreen when it's not so yeah. tied to current events. But, but if you think about it, if Trump were a Sith, everything would make a lot more sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like how, <laughs> well, just, like, just for, the, <laughs> yeah, for the record though, because I mentioned- He's using religion, whereas I think Palpatine is keeping his forceness, like all, right? Like his alignment with the dark side or whatever. That's not part of the empire. They're not, they're, it's, it's not, not a Sith empire. In, in the empire of the in, in the in the society of Andor, no one knows that the leader is a Sith. Right. They just think he's keeping them safe or whatever, right? So I'm just making the comparison. If if Trump were secretly a Sith, how would we know the difference, right? Like <laughs> it would be no. I'm mean, I'm serious. But Trump's pretending to have religion, whereas I think the emperor is pretending to be, is religious but pretending to be secular. Does Trump? Really I think Trump is secular but pretending to be religious. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't pretend very hard. I don't think, but not very hard. No. No. But yeah, but I but, but I, mean, I but I think I do think Andor. This brings up a great point, though, in terms of of real world analogies. I think this is probably since the nineteen seventy seven original Andor is probably the most space Nazi the Empire's ever been. Like there are space yeah. Nazis in this. For, first of all, you don't. Not only do you not see um, alien races in the Empire, you don't even you don't even really see them in the prison. You know, it's like it's very space Nazi, I think, in that sense. And, and how we also have like gulags and work camps and uh, and secret police. The whole secret police element, I think, is very space Nazi, very Soviet Union. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's I feel like it's more uh, more sort of on the nose than it's been in a long time. I, I feel like that's sort of like. You know, for me, like I, I thought the the prison just to jump to the prison scene, I felt that that was very. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever worked like retail in the holiday season or whatever, but that's pretty much what it feels like. You know, like I don't want to take anything away from people stuck in actual work. You know, prison forced labor, but like the American thing of like 
you know, you have to do your job to a certain quota and you'd be punished if you don't. And you're, you know, you're one paycheck away from like being homeless and whatever, and don't get sick. You know, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for the idea that you're unknowingly constructing the instrument of your eventual demise. Yeah, totally. So I I thought it was America all the way, all around. I thought, I thought it was brilliant. uh, You know, whatever. We'll come back. We'll come back to prison. Let's talk about that first arc because I think they're they're very specific. And I think, you know, there's been some talk that maybe what they should have done was released the um, three episode arcs one at a time, like they did the first three. So you get a complete story. I know, Issa, you believe that it should all be released at once. But here's the thing. Um, And as a person who doesn't like binging, that's like, then it gave us like a like an eight week experience with Andor. And uh, so I appreciate that because I, I just think that's better. I mean, look at Stranger Things comes and goes so fucking fast and then people forget about it. And like, I think the difference between where you're having week to week and you're having, and that could be with like, I don't know if, I know Issa, you don't do this stuff. And Dawood, I don't know if you do. And I know Ryan, Ryan watches all the Easter egg videos with me like that, that, that I do with all this stuff and and specifically uh i think screen crush does the best ones but um you know and they there's one that i was actually planning to reference um when we get to it later that screen crush did that i thought was a really really good translation of of an episode where i thought people who don't like andor could have watched it and seen like aha and this is why you're not getting it but um i'm getting ahead of myself but the first arc is where we really get introduced to, it was a really interesting one because it's funny, one of the um, things that Tony Gilroy said he wanted to do is he wanted to explain Diego Luna's accent, that just for him, he just wanted to know why he had an accent. And he said that first arc, a lot of it was like, I wanted to know where he came from. And I loved that they didn't put subtitles on the um, characters on his home world when they spoke whatever language they did, you know, that they didn't subtitle it. You were just, had, you had to figure it out. Um, and it worked better than it did in the holiday special for sure. Uh, but uh, I liked that. And I liked the whole backstory that we uh, learned about Marva and Clem and that, you know, he ended up on this other world and. Um, and it introduced Ferrix, and we started with the with the, kind of the symmetry. I know they they on Screen Crush they always make fun of the whole George Lucas saying it rhymes. <laughs> it's like poetry. It rhymes. It's like yeah. poetry. It rhymes. And um, because the him shooting the the corporate officers is supposed to kind of rhyme with the beginning of Rogue One, so it's starting your it's starting his journey on a similar note. And then we're going back from there. And I know some people made a lot about how cyberpunk that planet was. And I, you know, to me, whatever, that first arc where, um, you know, I thought was great character building and, um, you know, and it all built up to, wasn't the third one where, um, you know, he kind of had to escape off the planet. And then you had that, first battle where all the people on Ferrix are banging the, the pipes and that was like such a Sergio Leone masterclass and using sound to build tension I fucking loved it I love that arc so 
and especially the third episode. And I thought it did a really good job of it for me. It hooked me on the, sh- the whole show. And those first three were all written by uh, Tony Gilroy. Yeah. And they were all, they all, it's interesting, you know, that that arc also was like, and this is probably part of what you're doing here with this structure, right? Because yeah. a lot of these arcs did work this way. Same director, same writer on those first three, a guy named Toby Haynes did those first three. He's directed Doctor Who, Black Mirror, Sherlock. Um, so that might even explain why there's a certain feel to each arc and that it sort of changes because then the next the next three were all written by Dan Gilroy and all directed by Susanna White. Um, so yeah, it's interesting how it worked that way. It doesn't stick that way through all 12, but the first three and then the next three are like that. Yeah, yeah. And I was, um, I was really it, impressed with how different the segments of the show were you know like mm-hmm. it was almost like they all could have been their own movie which obviously- yeah and all the prison episodes were written by uh bo bo willeman i think it's pronounced but he was the showrunner for the first uh four seasons of house of cards which is interesting yeah. that the political drama guy did the prison episodes and well and T- tony gilroy gave some uh insight into that in one of the interviews i listened to he talked about how they built the whole prison storyline in, in in the writer's room that arc more so than the other ones hmm. that they spent a lot of time arguing debating and writing on whiteboards about the whole prison arc and part of it was is that they were debating it and it's funny because he talked about how they built things you know like for a long time they spent a lot of time planning the escape based on the boots and you know and it's clear that they kind of set that up with the boots but then we're like and he literally in one of the interviews he said eventually we were just like fuck the boots <laughs> tired of talking about the yeah. boots and they, and so when they started writing that whole arc they were sitting in the room they didn't know how he was going to escape and like he said that it was after <laughs> looking at some of the production designs they saw like the tunnels that they came up with a sign language thing after they had written a whole other version of it. And they went back and added that because after seeing the production design, they were like, oh, how, how the hell are they communicating? And so he was basically saying that that prison arc was the one that was most written and rewritten and done several, they did several versions of it. So, which is interesting. It was really good. Like I was, yeah. I was very impressed with that part. Kind of more than I mean, the whole show was fantastic, but that part was a, a level that went to the next level in a way that, like, uh, you know, I don't know if we're ready to talk about the prison episodes yet, but uh, not quite like, because yeah, we do, haven't done the high stark, but uh, but we haven't I done the high stark. And prison's the most memorable for sure. The one, the one thing that I will say, um, <laughs> I actually really like the high stark, but um, more so than most people, but the first three the arc that's what tony gilroy went and wrote um to to after kathleen after his meeting with kathleen kennedy he just wrote a treatment for those three episodes and that's what he took to kathleen kennedy and so everything after that first three arc was built in the writer's room when they put together a team of writers so but the first three tony gilroy wrote like just from after his meeting with Kathleen Kennedy, who of course has been fired and has nothing to do with anything that's good, right? And I'm being sarcastic because oh. uh, I am pro <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy personally. Of um, course, and it's all and it's all misogyny. 
it's yeah. people it's people who don't want a lady boss period yeah. you know they want to blame her for all the problems and none of the good stuff scapegoating and it's also like just because there's someone at the top doesn't mean there aren't multiple other people great i mean yeah it's it's so just it's so lazy it's reductive and lazy to be you know to to pick one person to hate for everything you don't like um but also never credit for anything you do like you know, whenever whenever those people ever liked something new, Star Wars, and I mean, they all love the Force Awakens. She was in charge of that too. Yeah. Well, and one of the things everyone needs to remember when they talk shit on the Last Jedi and why Ryan Johnson will get another bite of the apple if he wants it is Last Jedi came in six months ahead of schedule and <laughs> and under budget. That is the only time a Star Wars movie has come in early. And under budget, there's a reason. I mean, they should have spent some of that time fixing up the casino scene. It would have been a much better movie. <laughs> then you wouldn't have the. Reference By the way, shout out, Ken, shout out, Casino Planet. I personally totally. hate the Casino Planet, but it was hilarious to me that they uh, that that gets mentioned in in oh. Andor. Well, right, and and but here's the thing: Last Jedi came in, but one of the reasons why there's so much supplemental material and canon stuff is they had the time to build that because Ryan Johnson brought it in on time. Like, you know, they're having to retcon a lot of that with Rise of Skywalker and stuff like that because they just didn't have the time. And part of that's because they threw out a perfectly good script with Duel of the Fates and, you know, which could have been fixed without Leia, but whatever. Anyways, I'm getting no, pro- Props for being early and under budget. That's it. That is props for being early and under budget. And I think Ryan Johnson will make, eventually make that trilogy and I hope he does. I think they just really liked working with him too. Like it was well, a really good team. Uh, from people I know who know Ryan Johnson, um, he's supposed to be like the nicest guy in Hollywood. That everyone loves him. Like, you know, he the nicest guy in Hollywood thing gets said all the time about Ryan Johnson, and I think it's it's that's why I think a lot of people in the industry were super angry when the fans went after him because they were mm. like, don't do this to the, to this guy. Um, so anyways, but, but that anybody else have anything else they want to say about that first arc? No, it was, it was great establishing everything. And it was, it was really, um, and I think as we get into the high arc, something that, that, that was being planted there that pays off. There's a lot of stuff that seems disconnected that later pays off was the, um, the manifesto that the budding rebel kid is writing that's introduced in the highest arc and then you i sort of forgot about it and then it comes back around at the end of the season and you realize like oh that was really important well right and and one of the reasons why i loved the second heist arc is because a lot of those seeds are being planted for the revolutionary thing and then like the episode that's called like the axe um the axe forgets yeah they're there are so many lines of not just in the monologues that happen throughout Andor, but throughout the series, but especially during that time when Andor is like, you know, waiting to do the heist, um, where there's just lines that are just really great revolutionary thought and text. And one of the things I loved about that second arc is because one of the things you, if you read anything about war or like, you know, anything about doing resistance or rebellions or, or underground, anything is that one of the most 
important skills is to be able to be patient and wait and you know like to be able to hide in the woods and watch something for two weeks just to know how it works is not fun to put on film but it's realistic and it's something i appreciated about it because i've always wanted to see someone in the rebellion like hang out in the woods for for a month and not eat and eat grubs just to be able to pull off one mission because that to me is resistance fighting that's guerrilla war fighting in a way that makes a star war more realistic so every person that complained about that arc being boring you're wrong oh that arc was great and i I really liked seeing the different motivations of how people join the rebellion you know like i think uh this kind of had everything you know like it was sort of like uh you have the people who've been directly impacted, like they they killed my family or whatever, right? Which is pretty straightforward. Um, but then you also had like the, you're a bored rich girl, you know, like who might be very serious about the rebellion, but, you know, um, and that just struck me as very, uh, very realistic, you know. And you also, and you also have the different personality types that are like, you know, we're, I'm part of the revolution, but I, I'm still, you know, I want to have like a, a life. I want to have romance and whatever. And then you have like the romantic partner that's like, I'm, you know, I'll fuck for the diversion of it, but I'm fo- this. I just care about the mission. You know, the yeah, mission comes she's first. way more hardcore. <laughs> way more hardcore. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I also important about the uh, the heist arc is it's it's doing multiple things right because it's also showing us the way that the empire is. Uh, gradually tightening its grip on diversity on cultures you know it's like here's this here's this localized culture that has this religious belief the celebration their holidays their way of dress and how the empire is really coming in much more so than the republic ever was and you know doing this like orthodoxy this cultural heterodoxy on you know forcing that on all of these populations and and uh giving them uh these you know little scrap table scraps right like we'll we'll let you do this but you have to do it this way and only this many people can come here and go there and how they're gradually systematically stamping that out i thought was really important and i also think going back to that heroes on both sides thing from that prequel crawl we're getting to see uh people within the empire not just like sort of fifth column you know, resistors who are double agents, but people that are just bureaucrats and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, punching a clock. And, uh, you know, when you see the, uh, the, uh, I don't know what his rank was or whatever, but the guy whose family is there with him, you know, um, you know, what's that, what's his wife and kid have to do with any of this malevolence, you know, how it, how it really does take a lot of just following orders types for uh, machinery like this to run, you know, I think it's great that we're seeing more and more characters like that. I, I have that's a really one, one. Sorry, David. One thing that always bugs me about Star Wars, and it's just like it's so annoying. They seem to make the same mistake over and over and over, and I don't know why. <laughs> but they have this like generic primitive culture problem where they like always seem to have these like primitive cultures and just their idea of what a primitive or different culture is is just so 
um basic i guess is the only thing although i guess that word has new connotations these days so as an old person saying it's just very basic as in it's not complicated or nuanced but it's like uh you know they they tend to either like steal like from like you know this is a native american culture or this is this culture or whatever and it's just like these are people who live in space some other on some other planet with some other thing you know like be a little more creative it's always been a, a pet peeve of mine in, in well uh, do, you, do you think that they that they repeated that mistake in this art because i thought that they i thought that this yeah, culture I, was, I thought the, the simple the simple religious people that came to the valley to do the thing were just very stereotypical were a primitive society I thought the the kids that uh, that uh, you know the origin story for uh, for what's I'm so sorry I'm terrible with names uh, for Andor's origin story the kids were in like some like bow and arrow primitive society um, you know that ten, I feel like I'm trying to I'm that blanking. was the Lord of the Flies thing they were yeah I was thinking about that yeah that was a little different because the whole thing was is that their parents were killed by the Empire and they were abandoned. And they had oh, to, they, didn't, they didn't say that anywhere, did they? I didn't miss that. Did I? It's a, I think it's a you were meant to kind of infer it, like because you see that whole mining setup hmm. off in the distance at one point, and I think that their parents just kind of all died, were killed, or hauled off somewhere. Yeah, oh. it's they didn't come out and have exposition about it, where they're like, "This is what happened," but it's that that's what happened. It um, didn't seem like it because it seemed like they had no idea what this imperial ship was, or because they were all children when they were abandoned, they were raising themselves. And uh, I think, well, look, look, we don't need to get into yeah, the we don't have to go off and scrap, but yeah, I, 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 I think it's a fair point. I guess I'm not as bothered by it. Uh, I mean, you know, you could certainly, I guess, the most extreme example would be the Ewoks, uh, right? But uh, I don't know. Well, I, think the, I mean, the Ewoks, the Gungans, the, I mean, every single freaking Star Wars race is some budget ass version of some like stereotype or whatever, you know, like, it's like, it's super lame. And I, I just want to, I feel like I can't be involved in this conversation without mentioning that that is always bug me. It's, it's really weird. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I get that. Like, because there's a weird tension between people seemingly living like primitive uh, almost like tribal hunter-gatherer lives yeah. in a galaxy where space travel is common, right? Uh, and they're but like they're butting it right up against the the highly technological empire or republic or whoever it happens to be at that at that time. But that does still exist in our real world, right? True. Right. Uh, but that's like think about how iPhone, you whatever, how would you replicate that in in a space traveling situation, you know, like, and I, this gets off topic as just a general sci-fi nerd, but I've never understood the technology of Star Wars. It doesn't make any sense. That's well, a really, by the way, doing that other culture thing is a very hard thing to get right. Yeah. And, well, and, we also, we also may as well talk about how Star Wars famously does the like, uh, you know, here we have earth with like all these different ecosystems. And then in Star Wars, totally the planet one is like, here's forest planet. planet, here's sand planet, here's water planet. Yeah. yeah. That's also hilarious. It's just bad. It's just generally bad science fiction, but that's hey, fine. The rules fine. are different in other galaxies. Yeah. Just yeah, so you know. Yeah. I mean, like uh, Aldani is like Scottish Highlands planet. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mustafar is lava planet. Yeah. Volcano. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I do like about that heist art too is that um, look, I just wrote uh, a second novel in the uh, World War II uh, uh, mission 
thing, uh, subgenre, and I love Guns of Navarone, Force Ten from Navarone, and this this just like Rogue One, um, this fits into that uh, kind of canon uh, and feels like one of those. And I do really like the way the heist got pulled off, that there were consequences, that not everybody escaped. And um, I love the idea that uh, Luthen knew that whether it succeeded or not, that he knows the Empire is going to tighten their grip and he feels like it has to happen, uh, which was a, an interesting twist to have your heroes say, I need the Empire to start being more repressive because uh, they're... <laughs> You know, they're doing it death by a thousand cuts and I need them to like get pissed off. Um, uh, I thought that was a, a really cool <clears throat> thing. Um, and so then after that, we had um, we the next arc, you know, sets up the, the prison thing and it wasn't quite exactly three like like the other two. But um we kind of got more into it. We haven't talked about the, like the incel character storyline with the ISB, the, the guy who was the corporate officer. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cyril, um, that character from the first arc to uh, through throughout, he's the one that actually makes me think of the X-Wing Rogue Squadron novels the most because he reminds me of an, uh, an ISB agent named Kirtan Lore in that series, who's obsessed with the main character of that series. Uh, and Cyril's very much like that, except he's not an imperial, but he's like a believer in what the Empire's doing. I'm really curious to see where that goes. I feel like I think kind of weirdly innocent too. Like yeah. he's a believer in the Empire as an instrument of justice and order, but he doesn't he doesn't really know what they do. <laughs> I, I feel like he's been really set up to be the guy who gets his eyes opened at some point. You know, like, and I, I don't know where they're going to go with it, but it just seems like, you know, I, I mean, if I was just going the super obvious guess, it would be like the the female officer that he likes, whose name I don't remember. Dedra. Dedra gets killed or something and for doing something good or whatever. And then his eyes get open and he's like, oh my God, I need to join the rebellion. Like I can see that being in story. But I, I kind of feel like he's going to be the opposite direction of radicalization from Cassian. Yeah. Like it's Cassian's like kind of being yeah. radicalized towards rebellion and Cyril is being taken the other direction. Like he's going to, like I think he'll end up being an ISB officer. It rhymes. <laughs> yeah, it's poetry. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think he's set up to be, I agree with that. It's the setup to be the opposite. It's like his radicalization in the empire. And I think that's one of the reasons why they had to be kind of this like nerdy incel, like, you know, he's writing, angry letters about um you know rose and last jedi and like you know yeah uh, I, I, funny thing i think like people would want to see him flipped uh to the rebellion in part because they're maybe a little sympathetic from getting hounded by his mom all the time <laughs> right yeah but like his, his space jewish mother um <laughs> and uh and um yeah, so that whole storyline, and then I, I think in the next, I think in this storyline too, we haven't talked a lot about the Mon Mothma thing because it's been kind of like a side storyline. In the, in the, let's talk about Luthen and Mon Mothma because their storylines are so perfectly woven into it. You don't really think about it in in the ways of the arcs, 
Oh, so man. starting with Mon Mothma, I like that Mon Mothma is a part of this show. I like the intrigue behind all this. I think it adds so much weight to what she's doing as a character. For those people who think Tony Gilroy wasn't getting coaching on how to fit this into canon, they're setting up Mon Mothma's events in Rebels. So um, by yeah. specifically referencing things that she's that that are going to push her out of the Senate um in the events of rebels so you know it's not dave filoni territory yet but but they're flirting with that stuff and i like seeing because now what you have is next time you watch return of the jedi when she's when she's giving her speech before like the fleet when they're about to head out you're going to have so much more weight and baggage because you're going to know about her family situation you're going to know about you know, how she had to fool the ISB and by the way, throwing her husband under the bus <laughs> was fucking brutal and great. Well, and we've also learned about her culture, which, yeah. hey, maybe this maybe this is a sign of progress for Mises point because we're getting a lot about whatever planet she's from and their cultures and customs and arranged marriages and stuff. And so we've learned, you know, she's obviously kind of horrified that, um, her daughter has thrown herself into their cultures and customs and is going to be sort of following her path into this loveless marriage to a piece of shit. Um, so, and like, I've, I've, I've always said this, that, and not to sound like George Lucas saying it's poetry, it rhymes, but to me, story, the best stories are parallels and reversals. And what, what's going on in Andor is constant parallels and reversals. And what you have with you know, Andor is like on the planet eating grubs and taking this terrible sacrifice and in the prison and being trapped in his situation. And then here's Mon Mothma, who's a senator, but also very trapped and also in a situation where she's having to like taking huge risks and taking big swings, including now. And this is the scene that I referenced that where I thought Screen Crush, which is my Screen Crush is a YouTube channel. Guy Ryan Erie yeah. does these easter egg videos and he did one where he took yeah and he does really great especially for star trek too um easter egg videos and he did one where he took the scene where mon mothma is talking to the gangster character and he translated what mon mothma is saying but what she really means and what the gangster is saying and what he really means and it was really funny because i the people who watched Andor and said, oh, I had my phone out a lot and I was kind of half watching. And then they say, like, I didn't really like the show, but I was on my phone half the time. That, that's what I'm like saying. You need to go. Yeah, you're not you're you're missing subtext and all these things. And Andor is a show that doesn't reward people only half paying attention. True. Andor rewards people who go back and watch it a second time and pay close attention to these things. And I thought that Screen Crush did a great job of that scene, that part where they trans, where he translated what they were saying, was awesome. And it was like one of the few times where I actually posted a comment on a <laughs> on a Easter egg video saying, "Hey, that was really good. I hope people caught what you did because I've done the same thing. I've written entire dialogue scenes where everyone's lying to each other, and you just have to hope that the person reading it gets it. You know that." they're obviously lying you know without coming out and saying it so i like that about mon mothma any thoughts on mon mothma i i babbled a lot uh i just really like having more about mon mothma in general i mean everything 
is amazingly well done. Um, is it Gen Genevieve O'Reilly is her name, is the actress's name. Um, she got nothing in Revenge of the Sith, even though she was cast as Mon Mothma in that movie. They filmed a scene that was supposed to be her working with Bail Organa and, uh, and Padme, where they kind of actually start the seeds of what will become the rebellion and it gets cut. Um, so she gets nothing but a couple of background shots. And I think the character appears a couple of times in, in the Clone Wars, and then she gets some stuff to do in Rebels and Rogue One. In fact, she has like a pretty big rebel moment in Rebels, right? Where she's Yeah, like, the, she has a whole speech. <laughs> yeah, she's great in Rebels. Yeah, and she voiced, I think she voiced the character in that too. She did. Yeah, she and did. so here, here's the thing. I, I care way more about what Mon Mothma was doing than Boba Fett. I don't give a shit about Boba Fett. Absolutely. To be honest with you. Yeah, and Boba Fett's a cool looking toy, but Mon Mothma is a much more interesting character. So give me more Mon Mothma Absolutely. background. I'm all for it. So, um, so okay, I've got to now ask my stupid questions the, for the person who as the person who doesn't know all these details. So, why doesn't Mon Mothma know that uh, Palpatine is a sin? She does, I think. Yeah, she's she's on to it. She does because I mean, she's I, tight I with Bail Organa. Or not, actually. I don't I'm not certain of that, I but I, I think she Organa does. That either, for that matter. Why is no one like, holy shit, the Empire is a sin? I mean, I, here's the thing. I think that Bail knows because he was he's the guy who took Yoda and Obi Wan into hiding. Yeah, he has to. Know. They no doubt told him. Um. Whether or not he told Mon Mothma, yeah, there's nothing they can really do at this point. All the Jedi are dead, and the only ones left that they know of are hiding. And one of them's got a little girl who is the daughter of Darth Vader, and he knows that. Yes. Yeah. So he's not going to make a thing about it. Uh, and so they're weak, and they're, the, all they can do is work in the background, whatever they've been doing. Um, it's the massacre on Gorman that sets Gorman, her... Which they've been talking about a little bit. Which they talk the about in Andor. It's not... Yeah, right. the, the massacre hasn't happened yet, but the whatever it is, protest movement on yeah, they, Gorman. They set it up that that's a, a, a cause that Mon Mothma cares about. And mm -hmm. then when the events happen, when the massacre happens during the events of Rebels, that's when she goes and gives her speech to the Senate in Rebels that makes her that she has to escape and then the crew of the ghost like free her as the storyline and, and and uh you, you know it's funny because i've heard some people like theorize that maybe we'll get a live action version of that in season two that's not tony gilroy style but you know i don't think we need to see that but we might see the events leading up to it um but it's interesting to see where they're going to go with that they're obviously planting the seeds for the gorman massacre on the show so they might show us the gorman massacre we might see that in season two and you know i wouldn't be surprised um yeah you know honestly like as far as like the, you know this is like an easter egg kind of thing or a deep cut but um gorman itself is a deep cut because i think i'm just checking wikipedia here right now <laughs> it's one of those things that was mentioned in uh rebels well, it's from a video game actually it's like it's from an old star wars pc game uh, okay star well, wars x-wing and there's all kind of, like so it's got a real history in star wars even back before this disney era yeah um, and by the way 
Tony Gilroy can can claim that he doesn't care about all this stuff, but I have heard at least one interview with him where somebody gave the wrong time BBY and he corrected them and was <laughs> like giving all this and gave all this information about no that happened six years BBY. So uh, before what the Battle of Gavin, wow. so he does actually know this stuff now. So wait, he, what is what is BBY before the Battle <laughs> of Gavin? Oh, okay. Five yeah, years. so the zero year in Star Wars is 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 a new hope. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. So BBY, is, a, a new hope is like birth of Jesus in the Christian calendar. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about Luthen, uh, who uh, is obviously the most awesome character of this show. Oh yeah. Um, Luthen is the guy who recruits Cassian and Stellan Skarsgård. Um, one of the things Tony Gilroy said in one of the interviews, he said that his that Stellan Skarsgård's link to the character was his ego. <laughs> that um, he really liked that this guy had a real strong belief in himself, and he said that that was the thing that he hooked onto. Um, there's a lot of theorizing about what Luthen is and where he comes from. Um, and there's I mean, he's got to be a Jedi, right? There's no way he's not a former. Well, like a fallen Jedi or a dark side user, because he's—I mean, we've obviously seen him say and do some fucked up stuff. The the screen crush um, things yeah. that they pointed to, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, or if I forget anything. But one was when he's going to meet with Saw's people, and Saw's people are like, "We're going to need to take that staff from you," and he's like, "You can't have that staff." The idea is that he's got a lightsaber hidden in there, and there's a, there's other yeah, episodes where he's walking with the cane, like a lightsaber. I mean, it just was. Like and he has the and he has the the kyber crystal that he gave to Cassian. But I really hope. I just feel like it would be so lazy if they were like, "Turns out he's a Force guy." Either way, Je a fall an ex Jedi, or it's. I think that a big problem with the Star Wars universe, one of my pet peeves, is. Uh, there are too many force users in that in-between era, in that galactic civil war era. I know it's, I know we all want force users. And so it's like, they're constantly, you know, uh, like at least they have the good sense to kill Kane and Jarrus, right? And Rebels, spoiler alert. But it's like, there's Ezra Bridger, there's, um, you know, dude from Jedi Fallen Order, there's Ahsoka, there's, there, I, I think the more, Jedi's running and then you know there's Asajj Ventress and then there's there's the Inquisitors I get why all this stuff happens and I enjoy the storytelling that's done with these characters but I do have this pet peeve where it's like the more force users are running around galactic civil war time the less important this whole Luke's our only hope storyline is oh well um I, here's my feeling on it is I feel like Luthen was a fallen Jedi however I don't think we're ever going to hear anything about it I think that it, that ship sailed for him it doesn't matter to his life at this point um, and he's moved on and you know he may have flirted with the dark side and that's part of one of the reasons why he left and that's why he has no qualms about letting 50 people die or whatever he's not He's willing to play with the dark side, and it doesn't really matter whether he is a Jedi or not. It doesn't matter. It does, what he is the person who's starting the rebellion. I think more so than the Kyber crystals and all that. The monologue he gives, where he talks about the light, you know, giving what up he the sacrificed? light, he yeah. sac everything he sacrificed. Which, by the way, 
is one of the best scenes in Star Wars. Like it is, and I think and I think it would really undermine it if it if it's if that monologue had anything to do with him having any sort of forceness. I, I want that to just I want that to be commit. I, finally, let's ha- let's have something Star Wars that commits to being about regular people who aren't magical wizards, who aren't part of the. I mean, again, that was that was what was so amazing about the Last Jedi reveal for those of us who liked it was that what's my part in the story and kylo ren's like nothing you're no one like yeah. that was one of the greatest star wars moments to me which of course was then retconned to yeah really <laughs> undermined oh you're palpatine's granddaughter from a palpatine clone son and whatever like <laughs> just let's finally just commit hey. to like let's have just regular people who are important yeah you're never you're never gonna get that he's totally a jedi well i my personal feeling is i think I think personally he was a Jedi or was something like that, but I, I want to split the difference. What I think if I was Tony Gilroy, he was those things, but it doesn't matter because he's not now. And he has to, he has to go by his way. Not now you never were. Is that what you're about to say? (laughs) (laughs) He's a Jedi sellout. Wow. I I hope he is not a Jedi. And I think, I think it would be much more interesting to me if he was like, a forceless quote-unquote like devotee of the jedi who's finding himself in a position where he can't live up to the ethical standards that they supposedly would have set i mean whether you know it's questionable whether that's even true given the clone wars they've done some suspect stuff themselves um but i find him more interesting as somebody who doesn't use the force who isn't that person um and what won me over to that character was the scene, <laughs> the scene where he's putting on the character of the the antiquities dealer. Yeah, that really won me over to that character because otherwise he's just this gruff revolutionary leader. But the fact that he puts on this whole entire character and you see, you kind of it's a it's kind of meta that scene. Where he goes like this to get himself yeah. the character. <laughs> yeah. But he also Such a decided. Great he also decided that was an improv, by the way. Right. Guard, where he did the whole like thing. Oh, that was great. But yeah. remember, he also decided that he had to have Cassian, and he felt that he could recruit Cassian. And he went to like a ridiculous amount of length to recruit Cassian. If you think about it, just for a second. So yeah, the idea that he has some sort of force reason to do so really would be a strong argument. You know, like it, otherwise it doesn't really make sense. Like, why did you pick this one thief to do to be? Well, because he stole something right out from underneath the empire that was thought unbelievable to steal. Impossible. Yeah. So I, I right, think that, was, I think there's a non-force reason for that. But um, well, my, hold on, because well, we even have a thing where there's a whole bunch of these things that have been stolen. Right? They go into great detail at ISB about how there's this whole network of thievery going on and stuff. Um, and it really is it doesn't sound that impressive when you put it all together it's like there's some corrupt people selling stuff yeah but they know but things like we have to have this guy he's our guy you know like i'm gonna put myself at risk to recruit this one guy right well and then uh once he pulls off all he's willing to kill him to to make sure right. he doesn't get caught and then you know uh, which yeah, that was more like he's our guy for this mission now the mission. Guy, yeah mm-hmm. now he's a loose end yeah, you're gonna take him. You're gonna take him on this mission, and you're gonna use. And him. also, we see if he's now gonna become a mentor to Cassian in terms of Cassian the Rebel. 
Right. Why Cassian's well, that way when we meet him in Rogue One. He's exactly And Luthan same. expects Cassian to die on Aldani. He does not expect him to live. Right. He expects him to die. And that's like one of the whole things of oh shit, he he made it. He lived. And like now I got now I gotta deal with that. And um that's the thing is Luthan's like willing to to just kill it when and by the way, his ship is amazing. And oh, of course, um, yeah, that's something everyone's been talking about. The... Except for the dual laser thing. That was you so didn't cool. like that? Uh, I <laughs> I, one of my other big pet peeves with Star Wars is that they just it's again, it's about it's just science pure science fiction, the technology. Why can't things aim? Like, like, why don't you have things that can aim like in in Maybe you know they have all targeting systems yeah, well do they they never see luke, turn, luke turns it off and uses the force man well and yeah and it's <laughs> the thing about his that, phallic x-wing inseminates like the, the idea the that you would have the idea that you would have like just two laser beams that pointed straight out and then other ships would fly into them makes no sense like that's not a weapon that makes any sense in the world you know like so, you fire a projectile or a laser beam on target and you hit well i mean there's and then they, that gets into you know sounds of tie fighters and explosions okay. and, i mean there's all kinds of like, like bad like, science why don't stormtroopers have guns that can aim themselves you know like it just it makes no sense so. <laughs> well there are there are some sharpshoot we've not we've had all kinds of retcons to the bad aiming storm stormtroopers including yeah, the fact but i mean we have we have like concerts. We have some sort of hyperspace travel. We have anti-gravity, but we can't make a gun that aims itself. You know, like I feel like of those three, which one could we do now, right? Like one's a lot. Lisa, you're splitting the... this hair way too thin. Yeah, plus this was a long time <laughs> ago, man. It was a long, long time, long time in ago. a galaxy far, 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 far away. away. Yeah. Something yeah. interesting about that scene um, with the ship. This is another thing Tony Gilroy talked about. Is that um, that scene was originally not in the first couple drafts of the script but they had spent so much time designing the ship and they came up with all those weapons when they were designing the ship that he was like i've got to use it right and because the original draft they didn't have that scene and he also said that he was basically adapting a there was a cut scene from born legacy with jeremy renner with a traffic pullover scene that they he that they cut from that movie that he in his words, he was adapting that scene into Andor. Um, <laughs> it was a great is, scene. It was really from the good. from the Jeremy Renner uh, Born Identity, Born Legacy. Yeah, whatever, whichever what he one he's in. Yeah, yeah. He said that there was a cut scene that he basically, and so I don't know what he meant by that. Like how he made it, this how he used it. I'm assuming that it has something to do with the way the way it was written to cut away with both sides and to show you know what was happening i don't know but either way that was a really cool scene and i did like the ship lasers because it was something new and that's basically like your ship having two lightsabers on it which is hilarious or, or um, one, you know, one darth maul lightsaber yeah. and that also <laughs> gave everybody to make uh, spinning's a fun tr trick jokes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that one section of that scene that was a great scene like i love the arrogance of the imperials and just like like this ship is doing this to us that was amazing like that hey let's, let's talk about that ship go ahead sir uh, i was just gonna say that ship the uh the imperial ship um that is a another like a, a deep dig into the vaults of star yes. wars because that was designed by Colin Cantwell for the original trilogy era it was a concept art artwork. Uh, they called it a Cantwell they, class. They call it a Cantwell class. 
and that like that ship was used a little bit in solo it was like redesigned for for screen for solo and they because. just ended up cutting the scenes i think it appears in a hologram at some point but it's really nothing else than that so it was beautiful to see it used and then the way that it's it's uh neutralized is amazing because that's kind of a deep cut reference to uh the first of the timothy zahn novels from 92 i think uh heir to the empire there's a scene where luke uses his proton torpedoes like he launches them backwards into the into the tractor beam projectors on a on a star destroyer so i like seeing the use of that principle in this show right and luthan and saw Guerrero's scenes like um we get forrest whitaker just killing it with the oh yeah that oh. whole scene and i like seeing fortis whitaker as saw Guerrero sort of almost weirdly subordinate to another rebel because every other incarnation we've seen going all the way back to his introduction of the clone wars to rogue one to scenes with him in rebels he's always like the renegade he's is he's the boss of whatever situation he's in and it was interesting to see him sort of yeah. defer to somebody else i think it just it, it really from yeah, a character standpoint, it really shows like how strong, you know. And I, I want I want to say though, because you brought up Screen Crush, and this is something Screen Crush pointed out. Uh, Dude, to go back to what you were talking about, seeing the way that he transitions from playing the antiquities dealer version of himself to being this cold, calculating uh, rebel leader. One of the great, great, great things about this show is from a filmmaking standpoint these directors that they've had from toby haynes to Susanna white uh guy named benjamin karen uh and then you know uh toby haynes again who did the prison stuff like we're there it's really stretching its wings in terms of like not just the production design but just lighting framing camera work you know scenes where uh the way just two characters having a conversation are shot to imply like this character standing a little bit in the darkness, this character is a little bit more in the light and uh, all these things that are such a long way from, you know, the, the uh, sort of creative bankruptcy of the prequels where it's like, Oh, two characters sitting on couches against a flat wall, having a conversation endlessly or walking down endless hallways uh, you know, like we really have come just a total like we'll figure it out later. 180, 180 from that, yeah. yeah, to like actually having filmmakers who are who care about um how much framing and lighting and, and all that sort of stuff helps with story and character. It was right. Weird. And and another thing too, the production designer came off of um Chernobyl. They they didn't hire somebody who wow had done a bunch of star wars they hired and i guess this guy was like i don't think i could do star wars and then had a meeting with tony gilroy and then was excited about it because he was like you're, you're gonna do some star wars but but we're gonna be doing stuff that we need your specific skills for which i think was fair hmm. you know and, and, and what's the thing called that uh mando was mostly filmed in Oh, oh the the, uh, the volume volume the volume yeah thank god we're out of that thing which which by the way the volume is way better than you know most blue screen green screen stuff but uh do you know why they of, invented the volume hmm? do you know why they invented it is because mando's helmet was shiny 
and so they couldn't use it in green screen wow because it hit because it didn't work with the the green screen so they had to invent the volume for mandalorian kind of like uh you, you guys know why luke has a green lightsaber in return of the jedi yeah, because it didn't show up against the blue sky on Tatooine. Because of all the blue sky <laughs> stuff in the opening on Tatooine, the lightsaber it just washed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and um, so on. On that note, too. Uh, also, his hand got cut off, and so he lost his lightsaber. So he needed a new one. <laughs> that too. I don't know if you knew that. But, <laughs> oh wait, when did he? When did he lose his hand? Who cut his hand off? <laughs> oh, uh, it was his father. I don't want to spoil it. Oh, mm. Anakin Skywalker? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things about uh, Ferrix too and the whole design of all of that, that they, I think, well, I lost my train of thought. I, I, I think that one of the things that they've got going on with, with doing that is that they, you know, they're having to balance like doing something new and different. And that's, and that's cool. Um, but also, you know, they also took a lot of cues and the prison stuff from THX one one three eight. Oh yeah. As oh, far yeah. as as far as doing that, and uh, oh, and I what I did want to say about the volume. I, another thing about the volume. It's funny is that um, Lucasfilm sold a version of the volume to Star Trek, so they could use it, and they shipped all the parts and rebuilt it in Toronto. So it's funny because like Picard. They can't use the volume because they film it in LA because Patrick Stewart won't go to Toronto, right? So it's funny because the Strange New Worlds and Disco use the volume, but Picard does not, right? Huh. And it's like a, a thing of it. But what's really interesting to me, and this is not just me being a, a Star Trek partisan, but I actually think that they use the volume better on Star Trek than they do. I, I would say on Strange New Worlds for sure, because I, I didn't realize yeah. that they were even using it until you just mentioned it. <laughs> yep. That's, it's yep. kind of ironic, isn't it? Like Star Wars gave Star Trek on like essentially what is a real life holodeck. <laughs> right. So, for some reason, I just heard Palpatine when you said it's ironic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, is, should be noted, it should be noted for people who think that there is real like beef between the two franchises. There's not like Terry oh. Metalis, who just finished season three of Picard, has been like one of the biggest cheerleaders for Andor. Out of Battlestar, started off as a Star Wars ripoff. Oh, Dave yeah. Filoni, very inspired by the Battlestar reimagining. Clone Wars right. taking a lot of visual cues from it. I don't want to get off Gene Roddenberry and, and the original Gene. Battlestar Galactica was genius, and the new one was only good when it was copying it. So there you go. Oh, I disagree with that. Oh, oh, I, I get I get accused of having contrarian takes just to rile people up. Like, yeah, wow, that was the worst one of those I've ever heard. I don't. I feel like that's just that you're trolling. You're. I feel like people don't trolling. appreciate how much the new series just copied the old one, and then it got less good as soon as it stopped. No, got to be trolling. Uh, that's all I'm not got to be trolling because we, we have nostalgia for the original Battlestar that makes us appreciate it, but it's terrible. <laughs> No, it the is reimagining terrible. is like it is terrible. Twilight Zone, Mad Men. No, no, I, I remember how bad it is. I've watched it recently enough to remember. But the new one just copied it, and as soon as it stopped copying it, it's <sighs> you know, you know, I am right now. You know the scene in the office when uh, when Jim is is trolling Dwight by uh, he's like he's like yeah, this new Battlestar is basically a shot for shot remake of the original, and Dwight's like. 
I have said in the past that the Andor is Star Wars being the uh, retelling of, of Battlestar, though. That's a good analogy. But I, I did want to point out, I started to make this point, but Gene Roddenberry and Lucas were very friendly with each other and they did not like see any kind of competition between the things. And in fact, Roddenberry was very thankful for Lucas because he felt like he got a chance to redo Star Trek because of Star Wars. So, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know. And one space utopia and one space Nazis. I mean, it couldn't be any different. Be this any whole different. artificial. One one's magic. Yeah. The whole right. artificial idea that there's like conflict between Star Trek and Star Wars. It's kind of like the whole thing with like, oh, there's beef between Marvel and DC. Like it doesn't work like that at all. Like creators go back and forth between both actors do too. Um, And then on top of that, like they're all cheerleading each other because it only strengthens each other. Yeah. And, but one thing I will say is star Wars needs to have Jeffrey Combs in like 14 roles. And that's one thing that they've messed up on because (laughs) star Trek has Jeffrey Combs playing 14 different species and, Star Wars needs to get on that. Hey, Stellan um, Skarsgård is is uh, in the MCU, and uh, Star Wars needs to get on having aliens again. <laughs> it's interesting, though, how the lack of aliens in this show. There are. It's not just this show. Like it's. I mean, even like the sequel trilogy had a, a fairly lax number of aliens in in the in there. Yeah, very but C three PO had a red arm, isn't that? Yeah. Totally I mean, oftentimes, like read a comic to find out why. And they also don't like to use, like lately at least, use like alien species that came from the Lucas era. It's it's really weird. All right, so we got to get to the uh, elephant in the room with the prison, <laughs> the prison section. Um, I, you know, uh, of course, I like this this aspect. I like the it's poetry, it rhymes thing of like that. I mean, it was pretty obvious to me that they were building parts for the Death Star almost right away um I, like it's funny when people were like i was they need the post credit sting to prove that but like like come on that's obvious what was happening to me anyways but um and you needed this was cassian's always been just trying to survive before the prison arc and this is where he leads his first revolution and becomes the leader even though uh andy circus's character is the mouthpiece for it it's cassian who makes everything happen and it's his first revolution that's what tony gilroy said was important about the arc was his first revolution um and the empire could have left well enough alone because he was happy to just steal from them a little bit and go live a life of privilege somewhere on the outskirts but yeah yeah, um, the most depressing looking beach resort (laughs) that that manifesto probably would have just disappeared So one of my one of my only real gripes with the storytelling of Andor was I realized there's like there's like a long history of people being arrested for stupid reasons, but like Andor getting arrested was one of the dumbest things that a character like that at him as a character could possibly do. Like, like why was he wandering around? Why didn't he avoid the police situation? It just seems like you be more on your guard and not I will it. say if I was to rewrite this the only thing I would really really rewrite about Andor is I would do one less prison episode and one more episode before he gets caught um yeah. like that's the only thing that writer wise I, I think there was one too many prison episodes no I, I like that he didn't have even a moment to breathe and enjoy just like I'm just gonna go live off this 
money I stole from the empire. I like that. You would also be laying low, right? Like, wasn't he? Wasn't he trying to? That's just walking down the beach. He was trying to lay low and it didn't work. He was with some, uh, he had some girlfriend or whatever, and he was like going out in public and doing stuff. Like, I think he was like gambling and hooking up with this girl. (laughs) Basically, that seemed like it. I mean, that's kind of laying low. He just kind of gets picked up. Like, I don't need, like, we don't even really know what happened to uh, what preceded him getting picked up. We know that there was an explosion or something. You cannot say he was not laying low when his own fucking mother was like, Aldani is awesome. Woo, that was great. And he didn't say a fucking word. He did not say, like, he was quiet about that stuff, but he was just, it's like, you know, if you, if you just robbed some big government installation, maybe stay off the streets for a little while. You know what I mean? He did. He went to like some weird like resort. Oh, he's on a resort. Wandering around his own business. He didn't go to Canto Bite. He went to some weird, dark, like cloudy world. Hey man, all I'm saying, it was, it was, it just seemed out of character and stupid. Like for a mastermind. he went to Florida, <laughs> but he's also not a mastermind. That's another thing to keep in mind. Though. Okay, he's fair just, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I'm just saying, if I ever knocked over an imperial whatever, I would lay low. I mean, I mean in the first three episodes, he just shot two cops, and then he's like running around his hometown. <laughs> yeah, but there he laid low, and he like came up with a cover story and like tried barely, to- <laughs> barely. Yeah. Um. So I think there's like there's like one, two, th- there's three episodes in prison. I mm-hmm. think there could have been two and it would have maybe been paced a little better. But, but it did. I, I thought it did such a good job of just making it seem like, oh my God, this is so hopeless and the, yeah. the, just the inhumanity. True. I like the idea that I actually think that there, I, I like how many they did because I think if, if it had only been one or two episodes in prison, it wouldn't have even really felt like he went to prison. Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. now we spend enough time there that like he's he's been in the system. Like he knows what the worst of the off the books black ops <laughs> prisons the empire well, you know how they say like it's um, like he was just in and out tell me you never watched star wars without telling me you've never watched star wars there's a tell me you've never been to prison if you if you're talking about prison like a lot of times i'll hear people say like when somebody like they only got six months in prison or whatever and i'm like you try going to prison for six months and tell me that that doesn't suck. Um, Because the thing about it is, is that, you know, and I agree with you, Ryan, that showing some time is good. um, And that's a good thing, but any amount of like, look, and this is what you're getting at, Issa, and and full disclosure here for anyone who who doesn't know that um, I did, a year in prison for activist related stuff um in federal prison um it was a minimum security it wasn't like like the worst situation uh however the what they're trying to make a point about here in the prison situation is the dehumanization of of prison and there there's a real like people don't know to the degree like first of all um uh, I always tell the story about when I got out, right? The first thing they did, because I had to fly home to Portland, right? Because the prison I was in was in Arkansas. 
and they have a, a halfway house prisoner pick you up and take you to the airport. And if you are there and you go to a, a, an appointment or whatever, they make you sit in the back seat or whatever. And the first thing I did was like hop in the back seat and the guy's like, what are you doing? He's like, you ain't a prisoner anymore. Get in the front seat. And it was really important for him to say to me, like, hey, you're 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 a human being now because they don't talk to you by your names. Like you, they might say your last name, but they'll never say your first name. And the actual role that prison plays in a lot of this situation is, is they dehumanize you to a level where uh, and I always give the example of like when my family came to visit me that like you might spend four hours in the visiting room and it feels like 10 minutes because for that time you're human being again. And it's actually the worst moments in prison are when you go back after a visit, they strip search you to make sure you didn't get drugs. And then you go back into the prison and suddenly you're alone again and you're not a human being again for like four hours. You were human, you know, and you were, you were, you you were yourself again right wait and, i thought they were rehabilitating you this whole time oh yeah right and so what so not to go off on too much of a thing but one of the reasons why i know isa wanted me to talk about this and that's before we recorded he asked if this was on the table i just wanted to put you on the spot i'm sorry yeah well we're watching well, three well, episodes part of it is because you and i you and i've yeah. talked about it before so you know and i the thing about it is this arc is important because the dehumanization of prison is a microcosm of the dehumanization of empire period yeah right yes no, and that sure. is and that is and also you know stripping local cultures of their customs and traditions and doing this which, model you know which they did in the, the same thing everyone's doing the same thing everyone's living the exact same seconds of every day um even that part of it of just you know yeah stripping identity dehumanization all those things and also i think it was important for our understanding of this rebel character to see that um the stakes right to know what he's fighting against that it's not just good versus evil in, in the sense of you know the good guys used to be in charge and now the bad guys are in charge but well, look, uh, really how bad the bad guys can be and you want to talk about a prequel making like something better than what it was now you've watched that whole prison arc now go back and watch rogue one and look at the fear on andor's face like i could get caught i could get put in this situation now now think of that of him shooting that guy is totally different it's a totally different scene yeah and just to just to take here's the thing and a, and a lot of people can talk a lot of shit about people who have never been incarcerated and haven't gone through it and like there's a there's there's a whole thing about it but you know there's a certain level of fear that cassian gets implanted with after that experience and having survived it that becomes crucial to his character and that is why that arc is so important not just that he started being a revolutionary but because it in like it changed him as a person Completely. Now he's going to fucking stop the empire, whatever it fucking takes. And I'm not going back to that place. And I'm not being put back in that situation. And I'm going to burn this fucker down. And I'm going to do it. 
and I'm going to get it done and I don't care because there's no, there's only one way out. Right. And that's the whole message of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. There's one way out because unlike people in real life who have dates to look forward to, and you're going to get out at this time and you can just keep your eye on that. Like they don't have that in this arc. So, you know, sorry to get super heavy on it. No, but. no, it's fine. And it's, it's perfect because just to bring it out of star Wars for a second, like, I feel like that is pretty much the justice system in America in a lot of ways, you know, like there's, there's like a joke of a trial and, you know, you get some automatic long sentence and then, you know, I mean, it was very much, it really captured that it in, you know, obviously was very intentional on the part of the writers, but it also, I think they did maybe even a better job than they thought they would, you know, like I was really impressed by just how well done and powerful that was. I feel like there've been, you know, there've been a ton of TV prison movies and TV and movie about prison experiences. And this one just captured like the unfairness and the hopelessness and and all really, really well. I was really impressed. Yeah, when TV and movies like depict um, like radical environmentalism, it's like the most eye-rolling bullshit on the planet. It's very hard for me to watch. The only thing that's worse is seeing televised depictions of, of, of prison, which, you know, it's, it's, you know, and look, some of its experience, I don't, ha- I've never been in maximum security. I've never had that experience. So I, I don't know what that's like, but, you know, um, and I will say that Andor was, was uh, fairly more realistic than a lot of earth-based certainly like Oz or something, you know, or, or like, you know, Orange is the New Black, where like, people can conveniently move around when it's important for the story. And, you know, they're not being counted every day at the same time. And like, you know, all that little shit. Um, Now there is some of that 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 happens. But you know, I I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't want I don't want to go too much into it. But, but, but my feeling is, is that it, um, that it is like a really important uh, role in it. And, and, and yes, and, and Andy Serkis was also a very important character because to see a character who's like, I'm going to be a part of the system, I'm going to be the cog and then come to the realization. He's the one that's so important because it's the moment when he's like, oh, they're not getting out of here. We're not getting out of here. I've been playing this system and it's not going to work. The ultimate, like, the system is rigged. Like, he knew the system sucked, but he was still like, I'm going to just do what I have to do to get by and eventually get out of here. And then finding out that, like, even even just dealing with it as best as you possibly can wasn't going to be enough. Yeah, and then he gets captured and turned into Snoke. That's crazy. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> well, after he falls to the bottom of that ocean, it gets taken over by a... Because he can't a, swim, so... Yeah. Oceanic... Yeah dark sith ghost exactly. yeah gets <laughs> mutated yeah and then what's really crazy is later how he ends up in middle earth uh, yeah you know well, goes to quite a metamorphosis and when he becomes Gollum, and then later he's steals all the vibranium from wakanda he's in a very complicated Sometime, he becomes an ape a giant ape and, yeah. ape <laughs> and, a, and a smaller ape too it's weird yeah uh so now that we the andy circus podcast is over um the uh, andy circus cinematic universe yeah exactly <laughs> so the last two episodes the daughter of ferrix and rick's road kind of make out the, the last storyline and um it 
shows the importance of Ferex and how we come back to it. And um, uh, it's funny because it's just, that's the weird thing of like, when I see, when I hear people, you know, I've listened to a bunch of different podcasts and one of the podcasts I listen to is Slash Film has a and or spoiler show. And one of the guys, Peter Serretta, who's like a film guy on it. And he kept saying like, he just didn't think there were enough stakes in the last episode. And I'm like, what the fuck have you been watching? It, the stakes were so huge and it was all coming together. And he, and I was just like, what on earth are you doing? It, it, and to me, like the, the way things came together in the last two episodes were, were really brilliant. And I know that would, you said that Marva became a top 10 character for you. in that last episode, do you want to talk about that? Well, um, I, I let out a doggy to pee. Uh, yeah, uh, her hologram message to me was one of the most, I think it was mo one of the more powerful speeches in this kind of cinema period. Uh, or it's not really cinema, I guess it's television, but anyway. Um, and I think in Star Wars, there's nothing really quite like it. Like that sort of brings the rebellion and the sentiments behind the rebellion down to the level of just normal, regular people. Uh, this isn't a, a senator giving a speech about an event that happened that she wasn't a part of. This is a, from a woman who was under the boot, presumably, of both the Republic and the Separatists during the Clone Wars, and then under the boot of the Empire for the last, whatever it is, 15 years, I think. And for anyone who's studied underground culture or looked at underground resistance and stuff like that, the fact that she was inspired by the actions of her son and she doesn't even know that he he did these actions mm. is, is a cool thing yeah. because people who are underground resistance fighters have to risk their lives and freedom for things that no one ever gives them credit for. Yeah. And, and you know, they have to like, just like, they are the only ones that know that they did these things. And, and that's a really important part of, of what happened in Andor that I really appreciated was that Andor never got celebrated by anybody for doing Aldani. And we don't know if he's ever going to, I mean, we know many Bothan spies died to get these plans. That's the second much, Death Star. Yeah. A common mistake. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but how, I mean, how, how, how upset is he so with that correction? <laughs> No, no, I'm laughing oh, because I corrected on that before. <laughs> no, I was more upset on a couple podcasts ago. I made a, I quoted Rathacon and I had one word wrong and I got corrected on it. And I was so I mean, mad at myself. I'm glad, I'm glad that you corrected me on uh, Gareth Evans, Gareth Edwards, which, you know. Well, right. Now I'm fine with being corrected. And it wasn't Rathacon. If I got Rathacon wrong, I'd be really. <laughs> I mean, was the word con? Because that would be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said everything was laid waste. Or I said everything was laid west. And it's everything was laid waste. Either way. I was going to say, don't fuck it up again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, that's what I fucked up when I was talking about Rathacon, because I had made a joke. We were talking about something, and I just, without quoting, saying it was from Rathacon, I said everything was laid west. And my friend, caught it but he said uh it's everything was laid waste and i was like god damn it <laughs> right but anyway so uh, you're saying the, first, the first rule of the rebellion is don't talk about the rebellion yeah so <laughs> anyways back to but my, that's one of the things about like 
underground resistance fighters have to to risk their lives and a lot of times it's too it's like the people in public it's like one of the funny things about like you know the people that would criticize bobby seal and all these people from the black panthers for things they did publicly and it's like you have no idea the amount of times they risk their lives to save people in traffic stops and and things like that and just say like oh like i don't like how he handled this court case or whatever it's like fuck you do you know how many fucking times he risked his life for that that you will never know about and for me seeing andor in that situation and being like you know how many times did he risk his fucking life and people are going to be like what an idiot he came back to ferrix go um anyways back to marva dark that would i really have to take the dog out Uh, dog, or did you just not take the dog out last time? Yeah, what happened last time? <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. you know, I just, just to me that Marva is a pretty powerful character. That's really where I'm at with so that I, now. Um, I, I have a question, and maybe we can yeah. talk about this while David is gone, real quick. Did she just die off screen? Like, did I miss something? Like, did I blink and she was dead? I think she died off screen, right? She died off screen. Uh, I think they kind of telegraphed it a little by showing that her health was deteriorating for whatever reason. I don't think they gave us blood into a handkerchief. That's one of my pet tropes. Yeah, it was handled very subtly, and I think it was. I I was actually. I expected them to do something with her alive, like she was gonna like you know, die suicide bombing the the place or something. Like I was I, I sort of expected her to maybe go out in the streets and protest or something and draw negative attention from the Empire and get killed. But I I like that the brick containing her ashes was used to smash yeah. some Nazis. It's pretty great. Yeah, that was dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that what's that guy's name? Starts with a B. I can't remember his name, but which guy he's like ass. I thought the, it was the a false big... alarm the first time, by the way. That's why. The second Cassian's really like had to be. best buddy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... Oh, shoot. I can't remember. Basto or uh, something uh, like that? Uh, Bra- Brasso. Brasso. Brasso, yeah. Dude was badass. And like the bro hug they had, man. <laughs> he also has the same name as the fictional character that Steve Martin's character plays in um, Only Murders in the Building is also Brasso. <laughs> So, like, I, that kind of made me laugh. Like, if you've ever seen Only Murders in the Building, like, Steve Martin's, like, he's supposed to be an actor, and his famous character that he played was Brasso. And so, like, every every time they said his name, it made me think of Steve Martin for some reason. By the way, the, the actor who plays Brasso did uh, some voices in a, um, a couple of different uh, Star Wars video games. Oh, really? Not as Brasso, but just... Yeah, he was a great underrated character in his scenes with the uh, with the with B2 Emo, which is a hilarious name for the that made me laugh every time. <laughs> for the droid that like got super sad. Yeah. Um, uh, the puppy droid. Yeah. Um <laughs> uh yeah, there were a lot of fun little one-off characters. Bix was a- we, and we could do a whole episode about droids in the Star Wars universe and their yeah. uh their ethical treatment. Yes. Yeah. Uh, for sure. There's an essay about that. <laughs> and there's many. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, and Solo almost broke it um, yeah. by uh, making Lando uh, a, a droid sexual person too. So, like, yeah. really... how does that even work? It works. It works. <laughs> it's actually, I thought hilarious, and I was yeah, totally... me too. Also, knowing that's the actress from Fleabag, which I didn't know when I saw it. I wish I would have known because it <laughs> character a lot cooler and funnier. 
Oh, and that reminds me, since she's in the new Indiana Jones, the fact that um, Indiana Jones's whip and the idol from the first scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark were in Luthen's shop is fucking hilarious. I didn't know that. How did I not know this Easter egg? Yeah, they're in yeah, carbonite. Yeah, well, the the whip is in carbonite. The whip is in carbonite. That's even cooler. The stones, I think, are in the background on shelf. Stones from them. Temple of Doom. Those are good. Then... I mean, because that's keeping a long tradition alive, right? In between, you know, ET and yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and, yeah um... you know, I did want to say, like, back in the Luthen part, but like he, as for as much as Gilroy says he's not into like the lore and all that stuff, like. Luthen's shop is just an Easter basket. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, like, too big an pass up, you know, like they had to do it. Well, I don't think he's, I think that's Pablo Hidalgo. Probably. Doing that and working with the production design people. And because they could do like the production design people would go to him. And then Tony Gilroy has no fucking idea so that they can get stuff past him. Because he might be saying, I don't want Easter eggs, but then like, Ha-ha. I mean, he's snuck this in. probably like Lucas in that regard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like George Lucas didn't really care about detail stuff like that, but then right. you have all these like reference books from the prequel trilogy that are full of. Here's what this thing is, and that you saw in the background for two seconds, you know. <laughs> right, and Pablo, for those people who don't know, is kind of like the guardian of of the Star Wars canon at Lucasfilm. He's the guy who. The guy who had to turn his Twitter account private because Star Wars fans suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> All right. So the last episode, some of the things that were going on, I love how brutal that battle is, how it just looks like a fucking street brawl that it's filmed like chaotically mm-hmm. that um, Dedra, when she gets pulled into the closet by her, her stalker, um, like actually looks terrified and, and yeah like, when we haven't yeah. seen her show any fear throughout the entire show it was pretty great or emotion, emotion any kind. almost <laughs> yeah and then you see her just like really have to calculate in those moments that was great acting her calculating like i guess i should thank you and her like this fucking guy um for real <laughs> and um all in the, that moment and then uh that was a whole weird will they won't they moment yeah just cheering at home like jumping out of their gamer chair like yeah one for our team and um i'm stalking you because i'm gonna save your life someday from a blm protest (laughs) (laughs) i like that the empire that it was a sign of the empire like not knowing like that we're going too far right in that Mm -hmm. moment that was a big deal. That was really cool. Um, and then, uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, there was a lot going on in that whole last scene. I love that that um, Razos used um, Marva's brick to break someone's head. Oh. Uh, that was super fucking awesome. And the hologram thing, like Tony Gilroy, for all people give him about not wanting to be a Star Wars guy, he was so excited about having that scene happened in a hologram um and he i mean rathacon was was you know made by somebody who didn't want to be a star trek guy so yeah sometimes it's what we need yeah Yeah. and uh so and and that's part of the 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 fun of um like he loved he said that he loved writing and directing the hologram scene with um 
Mads Mickelson, which was interesting because I didn't know that was in the rewrite. And mm-hmm. that he said that he uh, was really excited about working with the hologram and he loved the idea that this woman had been going to these funerals her whole life and that she got to give her own eulogy was like really exciting to him. Um, and so that's kind of a cool thing. And then uh, as far as like the end goes, um, it all builds up to the moment where Cassian walks into the ship with Luthen and says, kill me, end it now, or take me with you. And I, I saw care. someone on Twitter point out, which I thought was really a good, great acting, great directing. Someone pointed out how long of a pause there was between kill me or take me with you, where it was like he was really prepared to just die. Because mm. that's all he's not like, hey, just kill me or take me with you. Like, it, but it's like, kill me. Well, and I like that Stolen Scarsgard. Yeah. That he just grins, you know, and he's just like, you know, well, here we go. And then, you know, as a, as the whole thing, it beat it being that it's Andor's show, that that all came together in that moment. Yeah. It's great. It's perfect. It's great writing. Um, you know, and it's funny too, because like, um, and I referenced the Jeff Goldsmith thing, but in the Q&A interview, he always asks writers, like, what's the moment you struggled with the most? And he he talked to him about like the monologues and stuff. And Tony Gilroy was like, dude, the monologues were easy. I loved those. <laughs> He's like, the hardest part was figuring out how to get everybody on Ferris at the end you know yeah. <laughs> like how to do that and then he said that it was great that they all ended up there but they didn't all meet yeah and then you know um you know he couldn't get my mothma there but you know he had great scenes with her in the last episode with like her knowing like exposing her husband and to you know using him and like she's had to accept the trap that she's in by like marrying off her daughter, which you know she didn't want to do. I love how her dumb husband is like, he's not listening to us. And she's like, Yeah, yeah yes, that's why I'm that's why we're even having this whole made up fight. Yeah. yeah. So that's I'm why I'm you under the bus, bus right and now. he's like, I really didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. And uh I'm sure those of us who've been married have all had that time yeah. where the where the partner has thought you did the thing and you're like, no, this time I really didn't do it. Um, my, my wife would never make it this far into this podcast, but uh, if she did, I've never had that conversation. Nah. <laughs> but your wife has has thrown you under the bus to the secret police. Oh, of course. Yeah, all the time. Spying on you. You're a limo driver. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. but yeah, the last episode I thought was great, tying everything up all together. And so overall, <laughs> we've planted the seeds everything else the second season takes place over a four-year span and the last so the this show was five years bby and i think um we lost Dawood. he'll come back uh the next season's supposed to kind of rush us through the next four years right right up the, till the last four years one. bby and so i think that like all the story arcs are going to be one year uh, each is like the plan there, I know uh, Tony Gilroy was talking about there. Is it just one more season, or do we know if there are going to be more? There's one more season. Okay. Yeah. That's probably good. We wouldn't want to know too many bites of the apple, I guess. So. Yeah. I like how many episodes they made this thing, too. I think it really it came it was, it was time well. to breathe. Yeah. Totally. And um, one thing we do know, I don't know all the directors are back, but I know like 
one of the arcs is directed by one of the guys who directed Narcos, which was really interesting. <laughs> um, and uh, like, I know that the s- scripts are basically written and that they're starting to film soon. So, but it'll be a while before we get more Andor. So, um, but at least we're getting another season. And um, so we'll get to see the last four years BBY. And um, I've resisted going back and watching Rogue One again. I watched it right before we started this series. Um, But I think Rogue One is one of the most rewatchable of the modern movies so i'm sure i'll end up watching it again at some point um but yeah so eddie uh so let's wrap this up like uh i don't know i think mando season three is what we're probably gonna have next right is that i think i think uh bad batch season two will be before that oh okay yeah, so we'll definitely gotta get Issa to watch bad batch season I one i will watch that. <laughs> yeah I don't know. Do you think he can watch that without watching Clone Wars? Or no. you gotta watch all the cartoons, is what you're saying. Yeah. I feel like we always reach a point in the conversation where you guys are. Like, yeah, and again, we can we can curate some Clone Wars for you, so you don't have to do every episode of every season. And the backdoor I- pilot for Bad Batch is in the last season of Clone Wars. All right, I'll see if I can convince my kids to watch it with me, but I don't know. Well, here's the thing. Can we commit to if he watches all of Clone Wars, will we have a Clone Wars discussion with Issa? Oh, boy. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd have to watch all of Clone Wars again. You know, I'm, I'm a busy <laughs> guy, but I'll try to make some time. By the way, I, I have a very interesting way for us to wrap up this Andor conversation with some uh, something to throw out uh, for discussion, but I got to get up for two seconds and pick up this package off my porch. So, All right. I'll Momentum. pause it for a second. Good pause. The, yeah, I'm ready. All right. This is the thing I wanted to drop on all of you uh, that I think is a great way to wrap this up that I find very interesting. I'm sure, you know, most folks, everyone's familiar with Rotten Tomatoes and the tomato meter. And Mm. I'm going to preface this by saying... I'm um, sorry, I believe it's tomatometer. The tomatometer. There's something about the tomato meter that's a little more nuanced that maybe everybody doesn't know. So I'm going to just go over that real quick. Uh, in order for a film or TV show to be certified fresh, not only do the majority of the reviews have to be, you know, uh, it has to be more than 60% positive reviews, right? 60% positive is fresh, less than 60% positive is rotten, but to be certified fresh, you've got to be not only past 75%, but uh, at least five of the reviews have to be from top critics. So that would be critics um, from major, you know, significant outlets. And, any film or TV show uh, to be certified fresh, a film <clears throat> a film in wide release has to have at least 80 reviews to get into certified fresh territory. And a TV show has to have at least 20. And I point all of this out because uh, not all of the, the Star Wars properties are certified fresh. Um, mm. But just in terms of just regular old fresh, um, if you're right, if you go look at the tomato meter and you do Star Wars and you do it, arrange it by the tomato meter, Andor is number three of everything Star Wars ever. What are really, what's ahead of it? <laughs> what are, uh, well, there are two things ahead of it. I'm one of them, I'm sure you can all guess. Empire Strikes Back. Gotta be Empire Strikes Back. Empire is number two. Number one oh. is Star Wars Rebels. Really? 
Okay. So Star Wars Rebels is 98% fresh. Empire wow. is number two at 94, and that is certified. Then you have Andor at 93, Mandalorian at 93, Force huh. Awakens at 93, certified fresh. Magic number. Clone Wars at 93, A New Hope at 93, certified. And then it goes uh, Resistance, 92, weird. Last Jedi, 91, certified, which is strange considering everyone supposedly hates that movie. Uh, <laughs> Bad Batch, 86, Rogue One, 84, certified. Return of the Jedi, 83, certified. Kenobi, 82. Revenge of the Sith, 79. Solo, 69. <laughs> Book of Boba Fett, 66. We're starting to drop. We're getting close to rotten. Uh, Attack of the Clones, 65%. And then the rotten Star Wars properties are The Rise of Skywalker at 52%, Phantom Menace at 51%, and at the very bottom, the Clone Wars cartoon movie at 18%. Well, Where's the holiday I, special? My guess would be that uh, there aren't enough reviews of the holiday special. Beyond here. Uh, Phantom Menace shouldn't be that low with Duel of the Fates being in it, but whatever. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, that a, one is like, there's a that's film the... podcast, um, uh, Empire uh, film podcast, and one of the hosts, Chris Hewitt, they never stopped making fun of him for giving Attack of the Clones five stars. <laughs> and like, whenever they talk about his bona fides as a reviewer, there's one other guy on the show that goes, well, that always brings up <laughs> that he gave five stars. That's cold. I have to say, on my personal list, I, it's weird to me that those are all rated the same. I understand that that's not how it works, but um, I would say that Andor was about 10 times better than The Mandalorian, at least uh, for my personal enjoyment. Absolutely. Like, on my own standpoint. Yeah, I would say I would I would say it's the best Star Wars TV show. Yeah. I, I try I try to be wary of recency bias. For example, I really loved Attack of the Clones when I saw it the first time <laughs> you know there's there's kind of the newness of like yay new star wars uh but yeah i think i don't I think, hate attack of the clones like ever like some people but i don't hate it but it is it is rough. like it's not like as bad as sand or anything you know but it's the one that makes me cringe the most it's the cringiest yeah yeah agreed because yeah a lot of what's wrong with with phantom menace is just that it's boring yeah <laughs> a lot so, of, yeah Anyway, uh, yeah, if we, um, well, as far as TV shows go, I definitely think Andor is the best one. I might have had more fun watching Obi Wan, which is interesting. Like, that's I just, a great, that's a great way to put it. I would agree with you. I like I, this is technically a better show than Obi Wan, but I've had more fun watching Obi Wan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and that's the whole, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, favorite and best yep you know are are two totally different things and it's like you know i i'm not sure what my favorite slayer record is but i know rain and blood is the best one exactly. just, i don't know that it's my favorite but mm. yeah we've uh, talked about that and i agree and also i would i would say that there are scenes in kenobi that i would go rewatch right now uh you know certain sequences certain bits of episodes whereas I don't have a need to revisit Andor. I really, really loved it. I thought it was great, but 
I'm not like, ooh, let's go watch the prison arc again. I don't. I think with Andor, like the you can't just rewatch an episode. Right. You the 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 style uh, that was selected for how to make this, you have to watch at least the three episode arcs. Yeah. Like, also, I think time will tell. Yeah, as you said, time will tell on a lot of these things. Like how these storylines play out will really color how we see them. And mm-hmm. you know, like if season two comes out and is terrible, and all the storylines go nowhere, and it's just everyone's a Jedi, then we'll probably not look very fondly on Andor season one. Or as as <laughs> if it turns it's, out like the Dave Filoni, if Dave Filoni made Andor meme. Yeah, but if Dave Filoni made Andor meme is awesome, and I say that as somebody who wants Dave Filoni to be the Kevin Feige of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I want Dave Filoni to keep doing Dave Filoni things, and I'm cool with it. I'm excited for Ahsoka, right? Like, I'm excited that that's like a thing, but at the same time, like, I want different things. Like, I want Star Trek Discovery, and I want Prodigy, right? And I want Mm -hmm. Strange New Worlds. But you know, I'm just not a big Lower Decks fan, but you know uh but i'm also happy for the people that like it even though i don't like it and that's the thing is you know ryan ryan downey can like celtic frost cold lake that's fine i just don't i wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that it's great <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple songs on it that work got some risks i don't like what i say about that look i'll use an earth <laughs> crisis example like i'm fine with slither existing i just don't have to like they're my favorite band in the world, but I'm still very rarely going to listen to that record. But there are people who actually like that record, so you know, good for them. <laughs> Much like Load, if you have to forget about the band photo, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I would. I'm gonna. I'm gonna park my Ahsoka hot take here real quick, which we will inevitably revisit when the Ahsoka show comes out. It pains me to say it, but I feel it must be said because I've felt this way consistently. And this is as someone who watched the Clone Wars as it aired and, and and loved it. I think Rosario Dawson is great casting. I'm excited for the Ahsoka show. I will inevitably watch all of it. I will most likely enjoy it. And I understand why this was done in order to get us more Ahsoka stories. However, I have to say from a storytelling narrative standpoint, she should have died in Twilight of the Apprentice. It's such a. You said that in the last episode, and I understand. When people Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, fan service, okay, I did say it before. Yeah, when people talk about fan service, it's like the ultimate in fan service to me. It was such a cheat the way that they figured out to keep her alive, yet a non participant. Because you not only had to make her alive, but you had to make her a non participant during the whole Galactic Civil War. I, Um, I would just say they should invent a multiverse and have her be a variant version, you know? That would solve all these problems. Some I, people I just, thinking that's going to happen, or they convince themselves that the same people who that that's really happen to the same people who say Kathleen Kennedy's fired every day, yeah, are the ones that say Ahsoka's going to. Issa, this is like some deep cuts on Rebels that like a Venn diagram of election election deniers. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's like a whole world called the world between worlds now. That's like this mystic world and like there's a little bit of time travel involved. So there's people no, that think there's going to be a multiverse. I was, I was just trying to make a Marvel joke. Same people who thought Benicio Del Toro was going to be playing Ezra Bridger. Yeah. <laughs> much time on their hands. Right. 
Which actually wouldn't have been terrible casting. It wouldn't have been terrible, but no. no. It's interesting that the, basically we have a Filoni verse kind of. We do. Uh, he yeah. he is continuing his cartoons like into live action now. Totally. Um, and that goes wherever it goes. I think he's yeah, setting. It was up. like a backdoor pilot into the Filoni verse. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind he's kind oh. of setting up. I think like some narrative threads that are going to work their way into the sequel trilogy stuff. Oh, for sure. Um, Which is the same way he that. did in fixing the prequel trilogy. Absolutely. I think everything with with uh, the Camino cloner guy and, you know, with what, um, yeah, for sure. What Moff Gideon's trying to do and all the stuff with Baby Yoda, Grogu and all that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I think it's, he's absolutely trying to fix the sequel trilogy. Yeah. What he's doing, which is admirable. Yeah, well, more credit to him. And we'll see. I have a dog protesting now. Um, <laughs> so that might mean time to wrap up. But um, I, my personal feeling on the Filoni stuff is like, I'm all for it. Like, keep going, do it. Um, I, you know, again, I don't have to like all of it. Um, I just, uh, you know, my, my only thing too is though, uh, you know, the people like I, I saw, um, Oh, it's the guy that does the Star Wars Theory YouTube page, you know, who, like, he keeps, you know, Mm -hmm. who's one of the (laughs) most annoying commentators out there on this, and he was talking about how boring Andor was, and, um, and then went on to complain that, you know, that they're not listening to Filoni because this is about the kids, and, um, and, like, for whatever, you know, whatever reason you know they he doesn't think that they can we can have star wars of different kinds and for me yeah we can we can we can certainly have all kinds of different star wars so all right on that note uh anything you guys want to say um we i don't know how soon we're gonna well we're gonna do bad batch season two so we might have to we'll talk we maybe we'll we'll recap clone wars but uh at some point um because this is definitely a lot of fun um, talking Star Wars. So um, I've just wanted to let Issa know that Rebels is the highest, the best reviewed Star I, Wars. I'm shocked to hear that. I'll have to, I now I'm- And it's shorter than Clone Wars. Well, it's shorter so, than Clone Wars. Just, I don't want to, I don't want to reopen the, the, I know you're doing your wrap up and I'm being played off by music here, but <laughs> I just got burned on X-Men 97, the cartoon. <laughs> and so um, uh, people have been telling me for years how good X-Men 97 is and it is terrible. So well, um, nostalgia. I'm it's a little, Rebels, I didn't, it, Rebels took me a little while to warm up to. I liked Clone Wars from the beginning. Uh, Rebels, that took me a little while to get used to the animation style. And they kind of yeah, chilled that out time. a little bit after a couple episodes um, because it kind of looked less realistic than um, Clone Wars, I guess. And then they kind of like chilled that out a little bit. And then I, I got used to it and it got better. But I'm due for a Rebels re- rewatch, actually. Yeah, I'll, so. I'll see what I can No problem. So maybe, maybe we'll... Maybe we'll talk about it, but we. I'm saying, and I'm saying, I'm happy to curate episodes for you to be able to. All right, I'll I'll, wanna, I'll try some and then let like you a Cliff's notes, you know. Yeah. yeah. So on that note, um, Isa, uh, how can folks find you if they want to? Do you not? They want can't. To? I, you know, um, you can't. You can't <laughs> find me. I'm unfindable. I'm on. Can't see me. 
exactly. I'm on. I'm on. <laughs> which, you're un, unfindable and unfatable. <laughs> Facebook is sort of like uh, TikTok for old people, I guess. So you can find me there, or Twitter for old people. I don't know. Does Twitter still exists. Who knows? By the time this thing pop, is popped, <laughs> that would. Uh, you can still find me at Jedi Sufism on Instagram, and that's about it. You got holiday stuff coming up on Jedi Sufism, like because uh, I know you usually do stuff around the holidays, right? Uh, sometimes I, I've done, I've like picked, dropped a picture of my tree with a special made Jedi logo, like topper on that thing um, that I made. Uh, that's about it. But I don't know. I'm I'm working on something in my head, like for uh, to sort of explicate a Jedi code thing. So. I'm working on something. <laughs> uh, Downey. Uh, RyanJDowney.com is the easiest place to find me. Everything else is there. Are we going to get some new Speak and Destroy soon? Because I'm starting to Jones. Uh, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a couple in the bank, and I actually have a bunch of No Prize from God in the bank. And I, I'm sure I said this last time, but I need to have Dawood on that to talk Jedi Sufism cool. um, at some point. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Well, and uh, I like that you fit fit in a load reference. That was good. So um, <laughs> the defender of 90s era Metallica, but um, that you are. And uh, so if anybody wants to find me, you found this podcast, so you should be able to find me. Uh, You're already there. <laughs> yeah, and I'm finally living up to Count Agronov. I have an actual Count Vampire in uh, the book that comes out next <laughs> next uh, summer. Um, like, uh, as, as a fully 200% Count Agronov now. Um, <laughs> uh, with Last Night to Kill Nazis. So, on that note, um, I have an angry dog who wants to go for a walk. Um, but Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back for sure for Bad Batch Season 2, maybe something in between then uh, to catch up. Um, But I think we should just get Issa caught up, and then we can can review it with him in Bad Batch, probably. Fine, peer pressure, I'll do it. Watch some cartoons, (laughs) goddammit. Yeah, your homework assignment is watching cartoons. I'm trying to get get the kids to watch less TV, and now I can try to convince them (laughs) to get them to watch more. Now, on that note, before we Only stop, this though, <laughs> Downey, are, are you watching Prodigy? Have you watched Star Trek Prodigy? Mm-mm. Have you seen that at all? I haven't. Oh, man. That's I'm so all, good. I, I love Star Trek Prodigy. I think they nailed the, like, Star Trek for kids thing. Um, have to check it out. Yeah, and I um, really like the characters, and uh, I didn't realize, I think, we, I don't know if we were talking about this, but uh, we talked about this in the last Star Trek thing. But um, I didn't realize how much I liked Prodigy until I was watching the live feed of Kate Mulgrew visiting the Captain Janeway statue in Bloomington, my hometown, that I share with Captain Janeway. Uh And they had a woman in a Starfleet uniform playing the theme songs on flute before Kate Mulgrew walked out. And when they played the Prodigy, when she played the Prodigy theme, I got got emotional. is the prodigy theme for Kate Mulgrew smack my bitch up? Because that seems offensive. <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyways, on that note, well, but I will say 
it was super nerdy, but this guy did get super emotional watching Kate Mulgrew go to the Captain Janeway statue for the first I time. I like it. I, I like was it. Very, was very emotional for that. So you should everybody should watch Prodigy, and that'll be the next uh, Star Trek episode that I do with Issa and Sarah. So that'll be coming up soon because Prodigy's um, halfway through season 1.2 because they split up the first season into 10 because the animation took longer than they expected. <laughs> well, that's what it was. Go, go. No, whatever. Hey, and, uh, no, Prodigy is great. It's great Star Trek. It's great no, Star Trek. So, all right, on that note, thanks for joining me, guys. Um, and we'll talk again soon. So uh, may the force be with you and all that shit.